Jarvis, drop my needle. Hello, this is the hardcore legend Mick Foley, and if you are interested in listening to idiots, you came to the right place. Have a nice day. Woo! That's an attention getter. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. What we're dealing with here is a complete lack of respect for the law. Oh my God, he's an idiot. You know, of course, that you're out of your jurisdiction. Personally, I think you're an idiot. But that's the evidence in the car. But I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. Always like to keep my audience riveted. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. Hey, it's only been like, oh, I don't know, an eon and a half since we completed our 80s wrestling bracket, and since it's uh, technically March as we're recording this, we're still in the March Madness theme, so win all around, right? Right? Mm -hmm. Right? Anyways, in this episode, we're diving into WWE's Attitude Era as well as the famed Monday Night Wars with WCW. So let's get episode 128 rolling with a big old stone cold, hell yeah, I am your Uncle Todd. And with me, as always, is the man who was the originator of the Attitude Era when he attended a Monday Night Raw taping in Durham, New Hampshire and talked to Jim Cornette backstage. He has been my partner in EDC for over two decades and takes a rock bottom like nobody's business. I give you the man they call Tim. Are you ready? <laughs> you know what? I watched the, uh, what, uh, like, whatever the thousands, thousands, I almost slipped in Dusty Rose, the thousandth episode <laughs> of, of Hard Times. Hard Times around here, baby. Hard Times. Um, I watched the, like, the thousandth episode of Raw when they brought out DX and all that, and then Imperium yeah. came out and everything, and, and they had Kurt Angle just, like, straggling along. <laughs> And I love the fact that Kurt, you know, like Triple H is like, oh, are you? All right, never mind. <laughs> just like, kind of not short. Like, just let's move along. It's already That's shot, awesome. you know. That's that was awesome. great. That was all I could think of there. But but now, did I get that right? Were you in attendance in Durham uh, that night? I was. It was, I, I believe, 1997, the fall of, uh, which should line up with Austin feuding with the rock well that when, was when he tossed the belt right when he tossed the belt off the general sullivan bridge in uh over newing uh well in newington over the piscataqua river yeah which is odd, so, oddly enough that bridge is still there mostly because i think they, they're just waiting for it to rot and fall down because i think there's so much lead and other like <laughs> just epa super fun site worthy <laughs> chemicals involved in that bridge. apparently the, the bridge was made out of like pure like depleted uranium or something oh, i don't know what it is Lord. but they've yet to tear this thing down and it's and every time I, thought, I drive by i'm like I'm amazed that thing is still standing. It's just like rust holding hands. That's all it is, holding it here, up. Here, here I thought they kept it up as a monument to 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 the the beginning of the Austin Rock uh, feuding of, of the late 90s, early 2000s. So. You know, they might, because honestly, I mean, they've put plaques up for less stuff. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't yes, that the, I, was I that was the, the IC belt that he threw uh, that, off? That was the IC belt. That okay. was the IC belt. They, they were feuding over that at the time. And uh, yeah, I was actually second row. Uh, by the ring. I mean, I oh, oh my gosh, like, we got some prime prime seats for for that one. Um, and that's a tiny that's a tiny arena. It is. Yes, yes. Um, was it called the Whittemore Center? Right, Whittemore Center. Yes, sir. Wh that Whittemore was the uh, what was it? The Tau not the uh, was it the Taus rink at the Whittemore Center? Anyways, but yeah, the Whittemore yeah. Center. But 
I just remember being that like I I was just over the moon like how close we were because I you know like like you could actually see how how big these guys are alive. Oh yeah, yeah. And and we'll talk about him in a little bit. And and dude, Ron Simmons was no lie. When he came through, I'm looking at him like I would not want to be standing across the ring from him because he he was a big dude. I mean, oh, yeah. just TV does not do him justice. And mm-hmm. I was like, holy crap, this guy so, is gonna mess you up from one end of you know Tuesday to tomorrow. You remember uh, back in the day with Page Two, ESPN's Page Two, yes, and they had yes. Jason Whitlock. Yes. As one of the writers. And he talked, it was one of his columns. I can't remember exactly what it was really about, but he talked about the fact that like, if you had to, if you were like cornered in an alleyway, who would you want with you? And his, his guy was like in his prime Jim Brown. Oh yeah. Because yeah. who's going to mess with Jim Brown in his prime? And you see Jim Brown in his prime, and you're like, uh, no yep. one. For me, I would probably go with Ron Simmons, because Ron Simmons looks to be that guy like, no, oh, these yeah. muscles ain't just for show. They for go. <laughs> <laughs> Ron in his prime, whip your ass real quick. Yes, yes. And, and not think too was... much about it, it seems like, either. No, no. I... And what was great is it was it was during the time where they were kind of sowing the seeds of, of dissension in the in the nation of domination where you know the rock was kind of shining more and mm. and and Simmons wasn't wasn't happy with kind of the uh, le- you know the leadership role he was t- like they were cutting a promo and it was one where where rock gets a little too too mouthy and Simmons kind of shoots him a look and and it was it was just so cool to see it live you know like there's mm. just a difference when you're so close to the action and seeing them do that um, as well as during the matches what was really cool is you could hear them calling you know, the sequence like of the match as they were doing it. Like there was oh, one you point serious. Yeah. Like there was one point it was triple H and Shawn Michaels against, I think Owen Hart. And I'm trying to think who the other one was. I don't think it was Mark Henry. It was someone Already else but, right now. That's a hell of a match. Oh, absolutely. But there was a sequence where, um, where triple H tags, tags Michaels in and, and you hear him yell drop toe and he goes and throw and triple H throws him off the ropes, does the drop toe. And then Michaels like nails him with something. I mean, it was just so cool <laughs> to see the mechanics playing out. I'm just like, this is like, I was geeked out that night. I was just like, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's a given. And then Austin comes in and dude, the freaking place was deafening when he came oh, in. Of course. I mean, and, and we know that from watching TV, but to be there live and hear that that glass crash and, and mm-hmm. him come down was just like that that was so cool. <laughs> yeah. Is there a more iconic I mean, I guess there's there's equally iconic, but as far as like someone who when the when the first couple seconds hit it was yeah. a guaranteed gigantic pop. Oh, consistently. Gosh, yeah. yeah. Like I would almost say it's it's to the point now where it's like a you know, it's it's you because you have those really strong pops, but then you also in wrestling you have kind of the pops like I would say Roman Reigns right now is the king of the mm. And Seth Rollins would be kind of probably second place and San, yeah. actually no, Sami yeah. Zayn would be second place of that even when they're the heel, mm-hmm. they're getting mm-hmm. a gigantic pop just because of who they are or their music. Yeah. And right. then once once the kind of the thing gets in motion, then they get the heat. Mm-hmm. But even it couldn't it doesn't matter what. It's just like it's this weird sort of middle ground of like, oh, my gosh, it's that person. And this is why I bought the ticket and all that. And then right. then, then they open their mouth like, boo. Yeah, but, but yeah. Austin was always just like you know immediate like road warrior t- plus ten 
you know, pop. Oh yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was insane. It was just insane. So, so yeah, yeah, sir. That, that was a great callback to, to, to the Durham, New Hampshire, uh, Monday night raw that, that I was well, able I, to witness. I do I mean, getting can... out of there was hell because you know, the oh, Whittemore yeah. Center has one way in and one way out. So, <laughs> well, no, it's, it's the Whittemore Center itself. If I remember right, has about four different exits. There's one at each corner. Sorry, However, the parking, the, the parking, parking lot is the, is the that's, hellscape. That's, yes. that's what I meant. I, I literally sat there for probably 45 minutes just you know, hanging because I'm just oh. like I'm not going anywhere. So, oh, dude, I've, I'm an a lot like a lot till I die, oh, ride or die, a lot Parker from you know yes. back when I was in in college, mm-hmm. and I was always there so early. I had like one of the first spots in there, but mm. I can't imagine getting out of there for a football game or anything else. Oh, that, oh no, yeah. just you know what? I'm gonna walk down the street to you know to whatever bar happens to be open i'm gonna ha- i'm gonna go down there and wait for the mm-hmm. parking lot to clear thank you very much yeah now actually a, a follow-up question on this who was it that you knew i know it wasn't you who was backstage and did meet jim Cornette, and Cornette was asking him where okay. there was a domino's pizza yeah so so was not backstage we, by the way by the way folks we will get to our topic at hand but we're we will. we're living glory days right now so go so, so th- this was not me um it, it was a a friend of mine um uh, who I, I guess i'll keep nameless to to protect the innocent um what but, what happened that you have to keep him nameless <laughs> i don't know he, good he lord working... did he like did he knock someone out like with a shoot <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, I don't know if he wants to have his name mentioned on our podcast. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. But, I mean, uh, are, we, are we that low class? I, no, no, no. So he, he was doing hospitality studies, I believe, at the time, and he was working, there's, and there may still be a hotel at UNH um, where he was working. And I that is where some that, of the talent was yeah. staying. Okay. Oh, and so apparently, and, and the way he told the story was just, like hysterical because this this just sounds like such a Jim Cornette thing but he's working behind the desk all of a sudden this guy comes in and he's like you know just just standard Jim Cornette son how do I get a Domino's pizza rung up here you know <laughs> he was like right to business and, and a like, Sprite and a two liter of Sprite and a two- <laughs> actually probably like two two liters of Sprite because he probably was like I gotta figure out these matches tomorrow night yes so so yeah well my my friend's name was Mike I'll I'll, I'll say that much uh, mm. but yeah he, he he worked at this hotel and he did have okay. an opportunity to interact with Jim Cornette I don't recall if he interacted with any other talent but I do believe there was uh, some staff and some folks there who did um, uh, you know have have accommodations there that evening so very nice uh, I, and yeah, I remember that, Mike that, that now that you hysterical. mentioned I, I was down between a couple of guys i i knew it wasn't matt i didn't think it was parker no but uh, but i was it like was I, outside chance like we we all we we all went to that show all, oh i'm all sure of us but uh but yes yes and that was before we were we were good enough friends where i would have gotten an invite which is forever kind of now taunt me because i'm like oh my gosh that would have been so cool that would have been so cool <laughs> oh. <laughs> we 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 did make posters um of course you well, did because that was a thing. That was a big thing. Yeah. 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 So so yeah. Yeah. So uh memories absolutely alone okay and that's about all i'm gonna do with that all All right right. folks we we are actually going to talk about the subject at hand we are we are still in march madness uh as of tonight i believe because i don't follow this crap i gave up on my 
trying to pick brackets in uh, either men's or women's basketball uh, brackets because I suck at it. I, I do. Mm. I am horrific at it, uh, mostly because I don't follow it. So uh, we are still within March Madness, so we're going to try and finish this thing out. We had a we had a couple weeks off here because of some travel and uh, and, you know, family stuff and all well, not family, that bad family stuff, but just, you know. You got to take care of the fam. You got to spend time with your family. As we know from Don Corleone, a man who doesn't spend time with his family can never truly be a man. Michael. uh, Yeah, Michael. The family comes first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Santino, stop fighting over there. Yeah, oh, my God. That's another (laughs) rabbit hole that will go down. This is Although, what happened. Tra- Tracy Morgan had the best bit. Sorry, re- re- real quick. When he was on Jimmy Fallon's show after it was like his first appearance after his accident, and he was just doing doing a whole funny bit of what he did when he was you know recovering from from that accident, and he's just like, I watched a lot of movies. I watched The Godfather, and he's like, and he basically said, I have a theory. Santino would have would have uh, lived had had they had I Pass or 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 Easy Pass or whatever it's called. <laughs> yes. True. That's so truth right Tracy, there. You are correct, sir. <laughs> you know what? He's figured this whole thing out. Uh, somebody oh call. Somebody call Coppola. We need to. We need to revisit <laughs> Godfather One. What if? What if Easy Pass had Redo been a it, thing? But there's Easy Pass now. Santino yeah. lives. <laughs> it's it's the it's the God it's the Godfather Marvel Universe crossover. We didn't know that we needed that. Now we yes. need. Yes, uh, I, absolutely. I, I desperately need that to be like an extra on a uh, on the new season of Marvel's What If. Yes, <laughs> that yes. would be awesome. Um, but All we right. will we will get to our topic at hand. But first, before we get to that, uh, we have a little thing called the Week in Geek. The Week in Geek. Feels so funky. What do we have this week? Well, last, your uh, Tim. last episode, sir, we spent some time uh, visiting with the franchise known as Picard and discussing uh, all things uh, good and wonderful from that show. Uh, we're going to pivot now uh, and do something similar, but with a different sci-fi franchise uh, from the Star Wars universe, The Mandalorian. Woo-hoo. Oh, I can't do that that theme music. Uh, you know, uh, nobody can. It's it's not actually well, instruments. It's like a shoebox with a string across it. Yeah, basically. Um, but yeah, we're four we're four episodes in. I believe we're halfway through season three. Uh, and, just uh, about because I think isn't it a nine? No, it's an eight, isn't it? It's eight. So we are halfway oh. through, sir. Dang. We're already halfway through. I'm getting I'm getting Picard and Mandalorian. You know what? It almost feels like in some way I would be very happy if we standardized what a season of mm. a streaming show is, but it ain't gonna happen. And I'm you know, it's mostly just for my convenience for the show. Here here's what I'm curious about. We're halfway through yes. and no sign of Christopher Lloyd yet. I so. know. I, I hadn't thought about that until just when we started talking, because I know how much of a Christopher Lloyd stan you are, and I'm like where where's reverend jim you know it's like slow down i was half expecting him to be in the caves of mandalore but you know (laughs) that would have made a lot of sense actually you know what he's voicing the mythosaur that's what he's doing (laughs) he's gonna show up (laughs) mythosaur opens his mouth 1.21 gigawatts (laughs) 
it's going to be episode seven or eight, and he's going to, you know, the Mandalore open its mouth, and it's, it's going to be Christopher Lloyd, and you know what? And that's the that's like the Pete's Dragon oh, gosh. Uh, crossover that we didn't know that we needed. Again, yeah, we're just providing yeah. these things right off but the no, bat. It's, though. it's kind of odd. Like we haven't seen that. Yeah, and but yeah, we've got a ton of other stuff. You oh, know, but we've we've seen something that is well, we've seen a couple things that are very intriguing, which mm-hmm. I want to get to. Um, we'll get but, to them, uh, sir. Ain't no time like today. Absolutely. Well, first off the bat, I just want to say I'm very thankful this season wasn't all about him going to bathe in the waters. I'm glad we got that locked down in episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Although Mo- that was forward. <laughs> That was a great episode because we got some like quality, like we got some quality Bo-Katan Grogu oh, time, gosh. which yeah. was great because it almost was like, yeah. it turned into like a Lassie episode at one point because mm-hmm. it was literally like, you know, oh, wh- what happened to, to Din Djarin? Oh, he fell in the well? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> a big spider looking mechanical thing got him? Mm-hmm. It's like, how is this happening? Yeah. But uh, oh yeah. no, it was it was fan freaking tastic. I mean, wh- one thing I wish they were a little bit clearer on, and, and I think it's been clarified in in some articles, is uh, I don't know if it was Filoni or Favreau basically said this is is that there have been a few years that have gone by since season two um so that would explain in in the first episode the apostate when when uh din Djarin goes and visits uh grief karga that we see um you know navarro radically different from when we saw it in season one where it was much more run down and poverty stricken now it is this vibrant you know kind of growing you yeah know, uh, area and and you know that kind of threw me a little bit because i'm like what the heck happened you know but then when well, i saw it, it's like oh okay a couple of years have gone by it's like okay well could, could would it have killed him to just put that in some <laughs> just let here's us know thing. like I, here's here's where i think that quite honestly and and i say this i am not trying to be sarcastic here for once yes. for yes. once um but like I think your like sharp observational eye on these things can sometimes work to your disadvantage because I just mm. bought into it and and I didn't think too much about it. I just was like, yeah. And now I'm realizing, like subconsciously, I was like, oh yeah, time has passed. And yeah, yeah. And I think that you know, you know, for someone like me, that just sort of works because again, I like to lose myself mm. in the thing. Yeah. I just want to be. Yeah. I just want to be immersed in it. Right. That's all right. I'm asking for. And I think that, you know, whether it's because of your kind of, uh, you know, predisposition for anal- analyzing things like that, like you have a you have a very sharp critical eye when it comes to these things. And so you mm. you pick that out. Me, yeah. I was just sort of like, oh, OK, whatever. And I just it, and, and now doing real well I- and he's got robots carrying his robe. Oh, my gosh, that was <laughs> freaking fantastic he's got like uh, carrying like the two little droids that are like carrying the end of his robe i'm like dude just get that better tailored how about that but, oh wait but it's paulo creed he can do what he wants i i feel like they, they there should have been some music being played as he was walking too oh always i mean grief ought to always have theme music i mean come on now uh, but no, that was I, I get where you're coming from. And I, I do yeah, agree. Yeah. I, I think there, that might have helped a, a portion of the audience deal with that. I, I feel there's enough people like me, though, who are just like, oh, OK. And you just mm. kind of buy it because that is a thing like with the Mandalorian now that unfortunately, you know, stuff like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, 
what else am I thinking about? There's some other like Star Wars projects that, that just haven't had that immediate buy-in. Whereas mm. Mando has done so well, like the first yeah. season, <sighs> damn. I mean, mm-hmm. you tell me. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Battlestar Galactica season one, Watchmen, uh, mm. Mando season one. Yeah. Three of the best things I've ever seen that now qualify, and I'm putting up my air quotes, quote, uh, television, uh, you yeah. know, best television that I've seen. Yeah, I mean, season co- one, episode three scratches my itch, baby. Dude, I mean, just the entire season. The, the oh, entire, I, I 100% agree, but but, yeah. but that episode is like, that is, that episode represents everything, I, and I've said this before in prior episodes, everything I ever wanted to see in a Boba Fett or Mandalorian-based sort of storytelling, that was phenomenal. So Remind yeah, me no, what that you're, was you're, again. You're right on. Remind me what that was again, episode three. That, that the, So that's the one where he goes and busts out the uh, Grogu from Oh, uh, yes, from yes, 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 yes. But does it with all of his bounty hunter yeah you know tactics and stuff like that and i'm just mm-hmm. like like that was such a geek out moment for me like this is what this is everything i wanted to see from a boba fett franchise kind of thing is yeah him in action doing stuff like this and it was cool to see it through the eyes of a different character so yeah and book of boba fett is another one where it's like i bought it but also now looking back at it i bought it because the second half of it involved mando yeah yep yeah. And, and not not to throw a ton of shade at that, like the first half of Book of Boba Fett was still really good. But man, has has any Star Wars property done better just establishing itself as like, mm-hmm. here it is, here is the yeah. and, and you believe it. Yeah. I don't I don't know that any anyone has done a better job, which is to me why I'm like, give Favreau and Filoni whatever they want, mm-hmm. like literally like um what was it the uh gosh uh oh here's here's a throwback for you if you remember back in the day uh back in the 90s when they did the hoffa movie um and it was jack nicholson as as jimmy hoffa and then danny Mm -hmm. devito was like the driver like friend and he had the he had the business card that jimmy hoffa had written give this man whatever he wants and he would show that and it would be like instant like okay you know, and he, yep. it was like it was like a, a, a key to anywhere he wanted. It was his golden ticket. That mm. is like that is basically what I'm saying to to for like Favreau and Filoni is like give them whatever they want. What have they done wrong, really? You know, um, yet I guess you know because yeah. it is a very yeah. what have you done for me lately uh, world. Yeah, but no, I I'm I'm totally on board, dude. You no, know, you're totally right. So, anyways, continuing with. <laughs> The first half of Mando season three here because we got we sidetracked ourselves really like three or four times now. It's great. I blame the bourbon. Um, all right. So first two episodes are, are really kind of the arc of him. You know, way to pull back basic, the curtain, sir. Way to pull back the curtain. Thank you. Well, you know, why not? Uh, uh, you know, atoning for 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 his sins of, of mm. taking his helmet off. And uh, and so, yeah, so we get to see Grief Cargo. We get to see what's going on with him. Uh, try to bring back IG-11. That goes radically badly. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I'm, I'm little- grateful that they kind of went that direction. You know, I thought that, he was like I thought he was destroyed. So I, I was kind of surprised like there was anything to really recover there. But well, it was kind of morbid. They all of a sudden were like, oh yeah, he's that statue out front. I'm like, dang, <laughs> that's kind of even for a droid. That's kind of cold, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we just we just propped him up in this town square. Like, yay. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. and by the, oh, is that a statue? Is that a sculpture? No, that's actually him. Like, ugh. Yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> kind of changes your. It would be one thing, like, oh, that's a statue of Ulysses S. Grant. Is it a statue? No, that's actually his body. We stuffed it and then we coated it in bronze. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, it changes your perspective on the thing. It does, and and I, you know, I almost forgot to mention in this in this episode. I do believe uh, this is where. Uh, they're going through hyperspace, I believe, and we see some creatures floating through hyperspace. I believe, yes, the space whales. Oh my gosh, my my daughter freaked Burgles. out at that. She totally geeked out at that. And I, and if I'm Burgles. being, if I'm being honest, I did too because I was like, oh, we're that much closer to Ezra well, Bridger and Grand Admiral Thrawn. I was just gonna say that's why I was geeking out. I'm like, okay, if we see those things, then yeah. that means someone else is on his way. <laughs> Yeah, is it, I. You know what? The funny thing is, though, I saw all of that, and I, I shifted, I shifted franchises in a moment, and I heard Scotty like, "There be whales here, cotton." Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so so we 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 see a little bit of that uh, in the first episode uh, as, as he gets ready to go to Mandalore in, in episode two. Uh, we see him visit Pelimoto uh, to see if he can get a chip he needs for IG Eleven. Can't so he gets an R five unit. They uh, head over to Mandalore, uh, find out that it is not as toxic as they thought it was, and so he's able to go uh, spelunking basically. Yeah, um, and uh, ends up fighting some sort of crazy like it was almost like kind of a uh, general grievous type character yeah but before that <laughs> remember strange. he goes he goes to uh he goes to see bo katan yes. and she's like lounging on her throne which i saw that was weird did I you saw, not find that weird i did and someone posted on tiktok and which of course you know because i'm i'm old i'm, I'm not on the tiktok so i saw it on instagram like a couple days later because that's just the way it goes like whatever's on tiktok winds up on instagram and now that tiktok is i don't know what the heck is going on with tiktok i don't care not not to say i'm i'm against anyone who's on tiktok i just don't care because i'm not um but like this whole thing of like you know bo katan is like hanging out like playing video games or something and they're like you know oh the mandalorians here like, oh crap and like runs like running through like their their whole like house and stuff to get like to the the throne is like okay should i sit like this should i say oh no I, I should sit like should i sit and like trying to ah this thing isn't very comfortable and like fine like, okay i'm gonna sit here like Oh, Din Djarin. <laughs> it was. It was such an odd pose. And I saw that. And I'm like, that kind of feels like it would be correct. You know? Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah. No. Oh, that, and, and of course, you know, she's like, oh, everyone's gone away and all that. And then he goes down to Mandalore and and does battle with the, the Grievous bot, <laughs> which still we yes. don't know what that crap that was. But damn, was it kind of like badass or not? I mean, sheesh. That was that was, um, but yeah, like, like you said, it's kind of that lassie moment where where Grogu gets away, <laughs> flies back to uh, you know wherever uh, uh, Bo Katan is, and then she comes and and, and oh yeah, she's like, I'm going to deal with this one way or another, and then all of a sudden Grogu pops up and she's like, yep. what's that lassie? What's that Grogu? <laughs> yeah, Charn yeah. fell down a well. All right, let's go. Let's go get him. Oh my um, gosh! But. You know, the best part is, is you know, at the end when, when he does go to immerse himself in the water and, you know, seemingly forgets that when he's wearing all that Beskar, it's going to basically drag him to the bottom of whatever well, body of water that is. So. Well, no, but the thing is, like, because of all the bombing, there is this, it's it's opened up this crevasse, uh-huh. uh, you know, and so it used to be like it was a wading pool and now you go to the deep end. And so he just like, and, and 
which one of my favorite moments of like, you know, Bo-Katan, you know, diving under and using her jetpack. And my daughter turns to me and she's like, jetpacks work underwater? I'm like, I guess so. I never well, thought of it before. But yeah, again, yeah, in the Star Wars universe, everything makes sense. It's all space magic. Indeed. Um, Indeed. But I but I and I was telling uh, the man they called Tim this before uh, in our pre-production meeting, you know, when Bo-Katan finally, you know, retrieves, you know, the man Mando's, uh, you know, passed out corpse because he didn't apparently, uh, you know, seal up his helmet before he did the big plunge and is bringing him up and sees the mythosaur. And you hear that and like the bubbles come up and stuff. <laughs> in my head canon, that she is saying, what the frack? Yeah. I, you can't yeah. talk me out of that. Yeah. That is oh, what yeah. is that's what's happening right there. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. So good. So 100%. good. And then then like the arc that now Bo-Katan is on for the then the next two episodes. Mm-hmm. holy mm-hmm. crap like what a frick fracking journey this thing is where all of a sudden it's like you yeah. know oh did you bathe in the living waters and you know here's the living waters and the living waters do this weird thing where it's like, and like oh okay so you've di- you did it and you done did it because we saw the water and it did this thing and it's like you know you're you're now not excommunicated you're part of the thing again and Bo-Katan by mm. the way you're part of the thing too because you were in the in the waters you're like I don't follow the way I'm like the whole thing like all this as I'm watching I'm like say what so now mm. but I oh, okay <laughs> it's like one of those things where I just I did not expect that left turn and yet right. I kind of was craving it you know yeah oh my gosh so good yeah, the, the the moment where she sees the mythosaur that that opens up a whole can mm. of worms now because that's you know part of you know past legend. But if there's one alive now, you know that that could be a galvanizing you know moment, whether it's her or or Din Djarin who you know who who ends up riding it because that, mm-hmm. that like that's a major thing is is the the Mandalorian who who rides the mythosaur you know will lead uh you know the the, the larger group and. And so the fact that they're factoring that into it, um, you know, is fantastic. So we got Purgles in episode one. We have a Mythosaur in episode two. Well, but now keep in mind, like this might mm-hmm. be. The, so this is the thing. Like if you take this into wrestling Burke, uh, booking terms, like this might be their way of having to avoid like a one on one fight because like, oh, well, maybe she ride the Mythosaur and then she can mm-hmm. lead the people and then she doesn't need the Darksaber or maybe she right. can, then right. he can just hand over the Darksaber. Right. And then she can have both of things because she doesn't necessarily need it. Like, you know, riding riding the mythosaur is enough. But right. hey, if I have the dark saber now, I've really got them. You know, I, well, and now she's getting a taste of her own medicine because, right? She's seen something, mm. and now she's trying to talk to them about it. And the armor just kind of blew her off in episode four. She's like, yeah, whatever. Well, you know, not like, necessarily. Like, I I well, think it's just I I, she, I the thing is like I really, get say anything though i mean she just kind of was like okay but that's, <laughs> like that's that's the thing is like the armorer you have to understand like this sect let's call it that for lack of a better word at this point this sect of Mar- mandalorians very hardcore very much like you don't take off your helmet and all that and, and apparently that wasn't a thing for every mandalorian it was it was this you know children of the watch sort of thing so they're hardcore Mm-hmm. And for them, like, oh, you'll see many things. So for, for someone to say, like, I saw a mythosaur, it's like, okay, 
it's just a normal thing like because hey mm. weird stuff happens in you know because they believe that these things will happen mm. and it could be just like any kind of religious sect on our planet like oh and i saw this person you know be healed of their leprosy or their mm. epilepsy or whatever and you're just like oh okay you're like well is that a big deal well no because i follow this particular set of beliefs so therefore it's commonplace mm. i just it, it it is written and therefore it shall be. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not trying to totally play off your thing, but I'm just trying to offer a, a another opinion sure, of why sure. she might've been a bit more nonchalant than you would suppose where she'd be like, you saw a fracking, what say again, please. I just figured since he came back with the living water, why would she not be a little more, you know, kind of like, oh, well, maybe we should follow up on this sort well, of thing. Because you know, like, that, well, like, because like I think that... Well, because she passes it off as a vision, which I understand. Mm-hmm. But to me, what, what I don't understand is there's a bit of sincerity in, in what Bo-Katan is trying to communicate to her where I just feel like, in a way, she gets blown off. Rather than, mm. why doesn't the armor say to her, okay, well, you know, similar to what she said to, to you know, Mando about you know, go bathe yourself to redeem yourself. Okay, if you think you saw a mythosaur, go find the mythosaur and bring him back, you know, or whatever. You know, I mean, it's just like, like, why isn't she a little more, I guess, believing in it rather than trying to write it off as it being like a vision? You know what I mean? Like that, that, that to me is what's kind of interesting is being this, this, this sect that is very about, you know, much about their creed and, and, and a way of living and this being part of their legend. Mm. Why wouldn't, well, I know why she wouldn't, because they probably believe there isn't a mythosaur, and so she's probably thinking whatever Bo-Katan saw was just not really what she thought it was. But I don't know. It it just feels like something that I, I would think they would want to drill into a little bit, and they didn't. So Well, so if you if you go back to that episode, so Bo is reading the the plaque again, because you know, again, the plaque that, you know, you put up a plaque for everything. And you know, George Washington slept here for five minutes. He took a nap. Yes. Um, but you know, like, and she reads it with a very sarcastic sort of tone. Like, yeah, I've read right. it before. You know, this is the thing. Like, yeah, George Washington slept here. Hey, there's a mythosaur. And he uses the mythical, you know, source of the mythosaur. And then he starts going into the whole, like, very devout recitation of this thing that he's supposed to do and you even even through the helmet and this is the thing that i i think that doesn't get enough credit and and i'll go for you know the for and and again i've already well established i'm i'm deep in the bag for katie sackoff as an actor but pedro pascal as well and then i would even go further to uh to a movie outside of this uh v for vendetta Mm-hmm. Where uh, Hugo Weaving managed to convey so much without having the benefit of facial expressions, and if you want to go to wrestling, you can even go to Kane, who managed mm-hmm. to express himself physically without the benefit of being able to read his facial expression. She kind of gives this look of like, "Are you fracking kidding me? Like, really? Okay, you buy into that? Oh, isn't that cute?" And then all of a sudden, he just disappears, and she's like, "Oh." crap <laughs> yeah what is this and yeah. and she even says afterwards like it didn't used to be this way like it must have opened a fissure or something from the bombing and all this so 
if you're looking for like what the armor is going on, like she's going on the information of like, yeah, this used to be the home of the mythosaur. And it wasn't like, you know, the, the living waters extended down like 500 feet. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it was a wading pool. You went in, you waded in, you had to duck down like, ah, oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've bathed in the living waters and I mm-hmm. had ducked down in order to do it, to get all of me under. And, and instead it's like, all of a sudden now it's like, you have to go a hundred fracking feet down. And oh, by mm-hmm. the way, there's a mythosaur that's been hibernating under there that now is like, and you are, <laughs> Yeah, you know, because yeah. that that look that the mythosaur gave was the same look that my cat gives me when I wake her up <laughs> unexpectedly. Like, guy. like, and who the hell do you think you are? Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's that's my only retort to that. As I think that there right. is, they, they she isn't aware of the fact that things have changed like geographically mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. on Mandalore. All right. Good God, well, we went deep on that. <laughs> well, I well, and and we need to go deep on one more thing, which is episode. Oh, well, on on episode three so i'm gonna uh-huh. line this up for you and and and, and we talked about this last week because you you and i are geeking out about over the last couple episodes how there are potentially some some callbacks to Battlestar a little bit you know with Starbuck mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. uh you know episode four we 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 heard uh bo katan talk about uh going after a raptor which was kind of funny uh <laughs> and then and then uncle todd in our pre-production meeting was like i was waiting for the, the for her to say i want a raptor assault team and that would have been appropriate given what they were doing if only um, we could have gotten eddie almost to voice one of the the mandalorians uh, like literally he would have had to, he could have done it from home like yes. literally someone could have come in and my like i'm, I'm telling you right of the mandalorians right they're all wearing helmets so he exactly could it, right <laughs> oh yeah I'm, I'm telling you right now folks as i'm broadcasting you know broadcasting as i'm recording from home it's not as it's not a big setup it is essentially like <laughs> just a microphone on a stand and all you need is like what three four lines out of eddie mm-hmm. and you know what he would have been tickled eight shades of pink to do that for katie he would have he would have done that pro bono for like you know like i'll tell you what just buy me a nice bottle of wine at some point you know whatever you know from favreau like oh wait is favreau okay buy me a really good bottle of wine then yeah (laughs) no yeah like come on couldn't we get a raptor assault team quote like some sort of thing and then they could have been like you know quiet down you (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) just that would have been great but oh my gosh oh so good but but in episode three Mm. well we how how do i put this oh, okay so so the beginning part is interesting because but, but before we get the mandalorian title you know kind of uh sequence there is we we catch up with with bo-katan and uh and and dindajarin returning you know to her uh home base um where she lounges around on the throne yeah well as you do in interesting, uh, you know, interestingly enough, they they get attacked by some uh, tie interceptors. Well, and wait a minute. Now, was it was it tie? Oh, okay. it is tie interceptor. I'm thinking the they, defenders. They are tie interceptors. So, so they're getting okay. attacked by tie interceptors, and so they they employ this this whole strategy to kind of get them knocked down. Mm. So here here's what exactly plays out. So they're dealing with the tie interceptors. Once they're done dealing with the tie interceptors, there's a sequence of tie bombers that are now bombing the very castle. Yeah, Bo-Katan resides in so that it is basically destroyed at this point. So they go after them. And then as they're going after the TIE bombers, there's an entire squadron of TIE fighters Mm -hmm. that show up that grossly outnumber them to a degree Mm -hmm. that, you know, Dejarin and her uh, get out of Dodge quickly. Sir, 
Does that sequence of strategy remind you of anyone in particular? What do you hear, Starbuck? After indirection, after indirection. (laughs) What do you hear, Starbuck? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. If there was ever a moment to, like, just, yes, yes. And but the thing is, like that character, and 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 we're having fun here, folks. But to get down to like brass tacks, those types of characters carry mm-hmm. on throughout fiction and and various, you know, into into wrestling, into yeah. you know, movies, TV, books, whatever. You need those characters who are just willing to just like I don't care if there's a hundred of them and one of me. I'm. I, I'll talk about it in my and another thing. John Wick is another mm-hmm. one that just mm-hmm. I don't care how many of them there are, you know, uh, you know, Antonio well, Banderas in, in 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 one of my favorite flicks of all time, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, you know, oh, my gosh, what uh, I, I say is one of my favorite flicks. And now I'm blanking on. Uh, once upon a time in Mexico where, you know, Danny Trejo is talking about how he's this and that and the other. And Antonio mm-hmm. Banderas delivers the line that only Antonio Banderas can deliver and have it have any gravitas where you don't laugh, where he's like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to kill you all. And just, <laughs> and then he does, he kills yeah. them all. And it's like, oh my gosh. Uh, well, you need those characters. And Bo-Katan is one of those characters where it's, right. She walks that line that that Starbuck did of being kind of somewhere between a zealot and a loose cannon. Right. And, so and, so you're, yeah. you're jumping to the sequence where, where we get a little bit of a nod to Starbuck there, right? But even even like going up against the inconceivable odds and yeah. still wanting to press it. That is totally a Starbuck the- moment. Right. But but I'm talking about the first the, the puppet master behind who is because there's a question of where are these TIE fighters coming from? Mm. And that's what I'm trying to get at is oh, okay. who have we seen in the past who will go and do one thing, then do another thing, and then do another thing. And it's all mm. part of the sequence and strategy that's going on. Who who does that remind you of? Well, I don't know. Perhaps it's a, <laughs> a certain Grand Admiral? I believe so, sir. Like, when I saw that sequence play out... I'm so in for this. Yeah, like, when I saw that sequence play out, like, after the bombers, when you start to see, like, the flood of TIE fighters, and I'm sitting here watching this with my wife, like, what the... Oh, crap. Mm -hmm. Like, that was literally the realization I had. Like, I just read a book, or three books, actually, that outlined pretty much how this guy (laughs) operates, and this is, like, right in the wheelhouse of it. So So I thought that was just brilliantly done, and it was funny. I was talking to my nephew about it um, because he had just seen it. And I'm like, you know what that means, that whole, like, battle in the beginning. And and he, he, you know, he knows that that I'm a a big Thrawn fan. He's like, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn? I'm like, you're right! You're right, sir. And and meanwhile, you know, he's just like humoring the old guy. Yeah, basically. Basically. Which is fine. But respect your elders. There was a phenomenal sequence in there where there's one TIE interceptor left and basically Bo Katan flips the ship around a la Starbuck. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And shoots it down. And I'm like, 
you and I, I texted Uncle Todd this. I said, "You cannot tell me that was not a nod to Star fucking BSG. That was such a that was such a raptor maneuver that she did right there. That was phenomenal. no, it, it like it, that is one of those things that BSG changed the way that people think about just the way that the Star Wars, yeah, changed the way that people thought about dogfights in space because yeah. George Lucas essentially used like the way that now." affects houses and directors use pre-visualization to be like okay and this is kind of what i'm thinking george mm-hmm. lucas did that with like shots of dog fights and i i can't remember if he actually used like actual gun camera footage from world war ii or not um if not he used some very accurate like uh like you know films that were made about world war ii dog fighting and it's the same yeah. sort of thing like battlestar galactica then changed it like well, why do you only have to move in two dimensions? Space is three-dimensional. There's no air resistance. There's no reason why you can't all of a sudden go at a 90-degree 90 90 angle. There's no Gs except for what the, 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 the thrust is creating. There's no gravity acting upon you. So therefore, you can have, the, like, like in, the, in the, 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 the miniseries of Battlestar Galactica when all of the Vipers all of a sudden just go... And they like spread in this way. And it's like, whoa, oh, this is a different freaking thing that I've ever seen. Um, But to see that done in like in an atmosphere is also another thing. So, I mean, there is that dynamic thing of like what BSG has done. And quite honestly, yeah, Mando owes to that because they changed the game back in like what, 2004? When they yeah. started doing that, I mean, come on, you have to, it's, it, of course it's a nod and it doesn't hurt that you've got like one of the lead actors from that series <laughs> playing yeah. like one of your like keystone roles in this series. Like, oh my gosh, it's, it's almost too good. Almost. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's I, never too good, but you know, it's that was almost such a great good. sequence o- overall. And then the funny part is like, that's all we get of Mando and Bo-Katan for most of that episode because it focuses on on the Dr. Pershing character. Mm. And we're, we you know we get a little bit of a look into the New Republic and how they're offering an amnesty program and you know oh trying to gosh. rehabilitate former Imperials and what a great oh again, that poor that poor son of a bitch. I mean <laughs> yeah. Well, and and you know so uh from um Moff Gideon's crew, um, I think her name is Aliyah Kane. Yeah. Um, we find her as one of the amnesty, you know, candidates or, or individuals as part of that program. And and once again, I, I think to myself, is this not in the Thrawn way of thinking of, you know, throw someone in there mm-hmm. who is, um, you know, pretending to be one thing, but is really about doing something else and kind of wreaking havoc and causing chaos. And so... Um, I think, you know, for like, like, I think when, when they showed like the, the episode or in the beginning of the episode, when they were doing the flashback, showing her as part of Gideon's crew, I'm wondering if they're doing some indirection there. Cause you know, as that episode plays out, we find out Moff Gideon escaped. So he's out there somewhere. So I'm sure the prevailing thought is Gideon is really the puppet master behind everything. I'm thinking that where this is all going is in this, you know, similar to the season two finale where we see, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker, who is part of this mm. universe at this time, we are going to actually get our first viewing of Grand Admiral Thrawn. Like we're going to find out who the puppet master is behind all of this. And, um, and, and I'm, 
I'm I'm kind of excited. I, I think three is a very underrated episode. I think it was it was great to totally take it off of Mando. Oh no, it's great. And just focus on the 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 that character. Um, you know, and and see elements of the New Republic and how this, you know, how, how Coruscant is functioning now that it's not under imperial control, um, and, and that sort of thing. And so um so yeah, so I'm I'm I, I thought that was just a fantastic episode. I you know again I I'm one of those people who, and I've said it before, and I, man, I it's kind of funny that we we're talking about wrestling is the main topic. And by the way, if you're sticking around for the wrestling, we will get there. And if you're not, here's a reason to stick around: is that like when we were talking about you know the idea of getting pulled in, you know, like they had me in that episode. And I was I I I was there with Pershing and I'm and when he got betrayed, it was it was similar to like that moment of like they had me when mm, like WWE yeah. did the Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn thing. Like, damn it, you had me. Like, yep. even though I'm smartened up to this, I know the whole thing. I've got the background information, blah, 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 blah. I know how scripts work and blah, blah. Damn it. You pulled me in, yep. you know. And that is the mark of really great just entertainment is that you you get sucked into it and despite how much you know about how it's produced and all that. Um, but yeah, that was that was fan freaking tastic how they managed to to get you into that story. And it's like, hey, here's Mando. And now here's not Mando for most of the episode. And you're still yeah. invested. Yeah. So good. So I mean, and then they then they Absolutely. give you a callback to that moment when he touches like the, the the peak of the mountain on Coruscant that isn't, you know, the last bit of Coruscant that you can see, you know, this mm -hmm. the surface area. They give you a throwback to that in episode four. Yeah. Which I thought yep. was great. I was like, oh hey, that's a thing. Yep. I'm easy to amuse. You are. You are. Yeah, you know, it, you know what? It's it's a much happier life, quite honestly. But I do like how, like, like you were saying, like with Bo-Katan, it, it is interesting how this is kind of morphed less into, you know, it's less about Mando and it, like, like I'm thank I'm thankful the season isn't all about his redemption. Like they got that out of the way by, you know, episode two, it's now mm -hmm. Bo-Katan and her journey. Um, I, I'm excited to see where the next four go because oh, totally. it's, it, there, there, there's no, anyone who, who can try to predict what, the, how this is going to, you know, end for the season is, is smoke and crack because there, 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 there's no way they, they there's no way anyone can tell right now where this is going um, well it's the same people who can predict an uh, ncaa bracket because they don't know anything it's beginner's mm -hmm. luck that sort of yeah. thing like the, the the fortune favors the the foolish you know sort of yeah. thing yeah. yeah but otherwise if yeah no one knows where this thing is going and you know what i'm totally fracking in for it i've absolutely absolutely i'm, just, I'm outside just, just the star wars person I'm outside of the Star Wars universe because I've buckled my seatbelts. Indeed. Indeed. Well, after that uh, long dissection of the first four episodes of Mandalorian <laughs> Season 3, that, my friends, is The Weekend Geek. Well, thank you, sir, for taking us on that journey. And, uh, and you know, now that you've done all that work, hey, how about you carry us through the rest of the episode, too, because uh, you are the wrestling uh, sommelier, as we will, uh, Indeed. you know. <laughs> Sherpa, if you will. Yes, that's actually a much better word because you're carrying all our asses to the top of the peak. So, sir, how about you give us the lowdown on exactly what's going on in pro wrestling 
in the 1990s. Yes, sir. Uh, so as we you know as as we talked about last episode, the the 80s was that initial golden era where uh, you know wrestling went from really just regional promotions to uh, you know you know one big global promotion, and then there was WCW, which was uh, you know not quite glo- you know global at that point, but but it, it was a presence. And so in the 90s, mm-hmm. um, we we really kind of see like the early 90s is kind of a bit of a, a, a desert, if you will, it mm. you know, a little bit of a downturn in the business. Um, a little bit of downturn in terms of creativity of what they were doing. I mean, they were really kind of, you know, once, once the Andre thing ran its course and they, they went through Savage and Ultimate Warrior, it was starting to get hard to figure out like what, what was going to happen next with Hogan? How is this, you know, when, when do they transition and move on from Hogan? Because he was getting, you know, a bit older as an athlete. Um, and so, Really, um, you know, when you think about wrestling in the 90s and, and really hitting that, that kind of bottom, the, the, that lowest of lows, you know, here, here are some fine uh, examples of, of the creativity of, of Vincent Kennedy McMahon at that point. We, we, we oh, had such boy. fine characters as the Repo Man, oh. as T.L. Hopper, who apparently came to the ring with a plunger. Well, uh, I mean, yeah, the gimmick. <laughs> And, and let's let's be honest. When you've got when you've got human beings that large, that's not, that might actually be the best idea to have for a gimmick because you know <laughs> somebody's prepared. stopping a toilet. You know, Bam Bam Bigelow overflowed so many toilets at venues. I mean, just look yes. at him. Just look yes. at him. That's a guy who didn't have enough fiber in his diet. Indeed, indeed. Uh, and and then of course, uh, where we have someone who can plunge after Bam Bam, we also have Duke <laughs> Dumpster Drozzy who will take the trash out. Gosh, uh, we we had a a a you know uh, uh, apparently a hockey player gone wrong in the goon. Uh, uh. We we had Kane zero point five in in Isaac Yankum DDS. <laughs> uh, Glenn Jacobs at his finest, uh, coming out as as a a you know, psychotic dentist with really bad teeth because, you know, if the irony of the name wasn't enough, we had to have the bad teeth to just, you know, pound it home. Like a British bad teeth, like that level of bad teeth. Yes. Friar Ferguson. There was actually a guy named Friar Ferguson and then he was turned into Bastion Booger, which I I just, I'm just beside myself. Who did he hurt? Who did he take off? I, 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 who does he have pictures on? Because he had, he had some kind of a, a short run there, so someone put him. Well, put the him thing over, is, like, but... you thought Friar Ferguson was bad. They're like, oh, you thought that was bad. Here, let's put you in this outfit, which was like some sort of shiny silver SM thing, but. It was basically oh. like if someone just took duct tape and just taped over him. You know what I mean? Like, like that's. You what know the, what it, it was? was a, oh, my gosh. It was, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was the uh, the 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 woman from the Fifth Element. It was the bandage thing. Ah, That's yes. what it was. Yes, <laughs> yes. But they did, looked nothing alike. Let's no. just put it that way. Don't no. Google it, folks. Don't no, Google don't. it. Don't. You can't uh, man- see that. Mantar, who actually came down to the ring with a horse head. Uh, Which do you, did I? It, 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 Jim Coronet mm-hmm. as a rib got sent out with him once. <laughs> I remember he told that story where they're just like and, and and at that point I think I think I think Uncle Corny was just done with WWE and he was just yeah. like whatever yeah. I'm getting paid and he went out there and so he's he's healing it up as a manager for Mantar and got back and that was the only time he was ever Mantar's manager. Oh but my he's gosh. Like, I'm pretty sure it was a rib or it might have just been a mistake. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Uh, we we had Max Moon, who was some sort of uh, out of world sort of guy. I mean, he he was just dressed in like all these kind of neon things, and it was very acrobatic. Was that the uh, was that a shoot off from the Moon Dogs? 
not even close. He Ugh. he he actually looked closer to, to Far- Farouk's outfit, if you can believe it. <laughs> oh. So, <laughs> oh goodness! <laughs> and that was Farouk as as as, as the Roman gladiator, not not Farouk as in you know the APA, uh, you know, or the uh, nation even enforcer. Uh, yes, yes. Um, we had the Berserker, who was this guy who came down to the ring holding his palm up and just saying "Huss, Huss," and that's all he oh. did. He just came to the ring and just was like, you know, this kind of like wound up you know, I'm just going to beat the tar out of you and then leave the ring sort of thing. It was kind of crazy. Mm. Um, we had nails, the, uh, demented, uh, uh, inmate who, who tortured uh, poor big boss man. Uh, you know, cause if, if you're going to have a, a cop, you, you gotta have the, the guy he put away and, and who is seeking revenge. So, well, it is a natural, but oh my gosh, the, you, that's one, that's one of the ones where you're like, okay, this at least makes sense. And yeah. then you see the execution of it. You're like, oh dear God, where's the guy with the plunger? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we had Damien Demento, who I'm not even entirely sure what, what, what was up with that gimmick. Um, I don't but, think he uh, did either. I don't think he did either. And then last but not least, a special mention. Uh, oh, man, this Fred, guy. Uh, I think his name was Fred Ottoman, right? Ottoman? Fred Otto, maybe was his name? I forget. I don't know. But uh, he, he comes out uh, on WCW. He was known as, as Typhoon or Tugboat in uh, yes. WWE. Comes out in WCW uh, for his debut. Uh, was supposed to be in a big program with, with Sid, Sid Vicious, uh, Davey Boy Smith, uh, and, uh, and I'm trying to, oh, and Sting. And uh, comes out in a glittery Stormtrooper helmet <laughs> with, with just, and the stumbles with like the, over. With the Sonny Bono, like, fur, yeah. fur vest, too. Yes. Don't forget that. that. Like, it was just like, whatever was hanging around backstage, like, put it on him, send him out. Basically, imagine if if an imperial ship crash landed on Earth during the time of cavemen. This is what would happen when one of those cavemen, you know, ripped the stormtrooper apart and put his helmet on. That's well, actually, what I, Shockmaster looked like. I picture it more as a stormtrooper who crashed into Studio Fifty Four. <laughs> <laughs> then after they got that, off, that's their, true. Then after they got off their twelfth coke bender, they started putting on some weight, and then after they ate their way through New York City, they get they found their way down south and, and were on a wrestling promotion. They stole somebody's like XXXXXXL fur vest, yes, and were like, "I'm a wrestler now." Okay, yes, that's right. Whatever, go that's go right. on out. Oh, that, that was uh, the the most embarrassing debut of all time. Trips over, supposed to break through a wall. Trips over the bottom of the wall. The helmet goes off. Yep, helmet goes <laughs> off. Pulls himself up, puts the helmet on, and then I think it was like Kevin Sullivan who was doing the the voice. You know, yeah. it was it was one of those like creepy like kidnapper disguised voice sort of things. And oh my gosh, yeah. So so good old Shockmaster. Check it out <laughs> on YouTube. Uh, pl- plenty of versions of it out there, so you can just see how how a, a wrestling debut can go so wrong. But that was the lowest of lows. And, and the 90s was a very complicated, or, or I shouldn't say complicated, but, but well, it was complicated, but in wrestling in the 90s. Um, yeah, lowest of lows. But then we get to the highest of highs, and we have this sort of like second golden era that starts with the Monday Night Wars, the NWO, um, WCW rising to prominence, um, really giving WWE a, a real run for, for their money in terms of competition. Um, you know, you read interviews or, or you see some of these biography shows and, and uh, I figure it was the undertaker or Austin, but 
I remember one of them mentioned that, you know, they, they, they really felt like they were just only, a, you know, Vince was only a couple of weeks away from having to shutter the company because mm-hmm. the, the, the company was just getting so obliterated by WCW. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, from, from that, they, they got scrappy. They, they, you know, they changed up what they were doing. They got rid of the TL hoppers and the goons and, and they started and they entered into the attitude era. And, and mm-hmm. really, you know, from that, we, we, we really saw, and, and this was during a time when uncle Todd and I were in college, we were uh, apartment roommates. Oh, perfectly timed to, to, for the attitude era. Oh Absolutely. my gosh. And, and, and the thing was Monday night, you know, wrestling, whether it was WCW or WWE was must see TV. It it was really, really compelling stuff. I mean, it was goofy, but I mean, the storylines they had going on, the stuff that was going on with Austin and Foley and rock and triple H and undertaker. I mean, it was just, it it was really just compelling stuff and you wanted to see what was going to happen every week. And so it was just a real golden era of, of, you know, of, of wrestling, you know, kind of a second era that way. Um, and so the bracket we're going to reflect on here and, and, and adjudicate on is reflective of the, uh, you know, the talent of that time. And, and, you know, in the eighties, we, we kept it to 16. Um, we tried to do 16 for the nineties and realized there, there are just, so many, you know, folks from WCW and from WWE that we really wanted to, uh, you know, address and, and, and go through and, and talk about that, that we had to add a play in bracket. So instead of 16, we have about 21 or 22, um, uh, wrestlers that we're going to go through here. And even with uh, that, there's like a, a copious, a very large left out in the cold paragraph that, that the man they call Tim is going to get to here. That is yes. unbelievable. Yes. Uh, so, so the, the, the names we're going to run through tonight are going to be, or, or during this episode is going to be Hollywood Hulk Hogan, uh, Kevin Nash, also known as Diesel, Scott Hall, also known as Razor Ramon, uh, Goldberg, Diamond Dallas Page, Brett the Hitman Hart, HBK Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Ron Damn Simmons, mm-hmm. Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, Sting, the Undertaker, Mick Foley, Yoko Zuna, Big Van Vader, China, Chris Jericho, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. And last but not least, Isaac Yankum 1.0, Kane. Well, uh, don't forget about the faux diesel. Uh, yeah. Oh, and the faux diesel. Yeah, that's a very good point. He did play faux diesel. Um, oh, poor Glenn, man. And then back in like <sighs> then Smoky Mountain Wrestling, he was Unabomb. <laughs> yeah, and, no, he, and he was the Christmas creature. He, I just watched he, the Kane biography. You can yeah, tell he he seemed to 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 not have a good string of of luck with with those gimmicks, did he? No, I mean, if anybody was karmically due for having a character that stuck, Glenn Jacobs is right at the front of the line. Yeah, after yeah. after going through all those, like that man was due. So like Kevin Sullivan after playing the great and mighty Oz and yes. Vinny Vegas, like he was due. He was yes. due, and. Maybe it's reflective of, of just how impactful and, and just how vast the personalities were in the 90s as compared to the 80s. And and again, the you know, not to say the 80s didn't we, we probably could have come up with a 32 man bracket with the 80s, you know, when you factor in, you know, a lot of other talent from NWA and and and, uh, and WWE. But um, what I think made the 90s a little bit harder was there was, you know, with the advent of the Internet and with um 
you know, just, just the ability of, of the talent to be able to really, you know, kind of, um, get their characters over. And, and, and the fact that there were really three promotions at the time, if you count ECW, Mm -hmm. that we really had to cut, we, we, you know, we couldn't pull more, more people in because otherwise we, we really have like a 64 man bracket. It'd be crazy. Yeah. So, uh, as far as names that we had to leave out in the cold and we, we will bear some shame on this. We, we did not Ooh. feel good about doing this, but we had to, no. we had to kind of draw a line somewhere. Um, and the line is in, drawn at what we know. <laughs> and the line is drawn <laughs> at, at, at what we know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, um, unfortunately we will not be discussing anyone from ECW, but we have been talking about maybe we just need to have an ECW bracket to really just, you know, talk about who, who was really the cream of the crop from, from that time period and from that promotion. Um, as well as you'll hear, you know, some tag teams as well. And uncle Todd had the fine idea of we should run a tag team bracket at some point. So, Mm -hmm. so from, uh, you know, left out in the cold ECW stars. So like Taz, Raven, Tommy dreamer, Sandman, Rob Van Dam, unfortunately, you know, did, did not go above the line here. Um, I, I have it as the Kurt's, uh, Kurt Henning and Kurt Angle. Um, Kurt Henning was a hard one because, you know, that was kind of the apex of his, uh, you know, career when he was in WWE with Brett the Hitman Hart. But from an impact standpoint, you know, it's it's questionable. Um, so we just kind of, you know, dropped him below the line. Kurt Angle was just starting his career at the end of the 90s. So we'll talk excuse me, talk more about him in the 2000s. Um, Jake the Snake Roberts, he had a, you know, about a year run in, in the 90s, was very instrumental, as we talked about last episode, and in, in kind of kicking off the Attitude Era with, with you know, being that foil against Austin and, and Austin kind of establishing himself as Stone Cold. But, uh, but it kind of stops there. And so um, the Dudleys, uh, Edge and Christian, the Hardy Boys, all great tag teams. TLC was in 1999, the first match. Um, but again, you know, can't can't really uh, get into it here for for the 90s and and just given you know just all all the folks that we need to go through here. So, uh, Sid Vicious, Lex Luger, Tatanka, Gold uh, Goldust hurts because mm. he had a phenomenal brawl. I mean, first the character was so kind of ahead um, of its time and so different. Yeah, so unlike um, anything else. Yeah. And, and Dustin Runnels just seemed like he was up for whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And so um, so with Goldust uh, and, and then there's the memorable brawl with uh, Roddy Piper, which yes. um, which, you know, really felt like a brawl because there was a couple points when I remember and, you know, I, I'm assuming this was a gentleman's agreement, but Piper really just hauled off and punched him. I mean, I just remember he took a punch and there, and because they had been wrestling for a bit, it, it was a little bit of, for some reason, the area, the, the lot that they were wrestling or brawling in was like soaking wet. I don't know. Like, like once they left there, there was no like water anywhere. So I don't know if someone hosed it down beforehand or what, but I think because they were trying to make it more cinematic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but there was a point when Piper punched him and you just see the, it was almost like the Apollo Creed Drago fight when Drago punches (laughs) Apollo Creed and you just see like sweat flying off of his head because he's Mm -hmm. getting hit so hard. It was like that, you know I mean? And he popped him. It it was a brutal brawl, but uh, yeah, Goldust, unfortunately not making the list. Rick Rude, Jim Neidhart, uh, Legion of Doom, Demolition, Big Show, Bam Bam Bigelow, 
uh, Ted DiBiase and IRS, who who really were more of a tag team in the early 90s before they they both respectively retired. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper um, had a respectable run in WCW, but you know not not nearly the impact that, that he had in the 80s. Ultimate Warrior, Davy Boy Smith, uh, Owen Hart, of course, uh, the great Owen Hart, uh, Ken Shamrock, Road Dog, Badass Billy Gunn, Big Boss Man, Val Venus, and last but not least. And I know this hurts Uncle Todd greatly, but the Godfather. That, that one stings. Charles, be Charles Wright will not be joining the show anytime soon. That, that one hurts. That's That was my whoa, sentimental whoa, pick. Whoa, player. <laughs> now I can either whip your ass. Yeah, no, that was... Oh, that, and that was so, another guy who, I mean, after, after a lot of the gimmicks that he had, he was due for something that got over. Now, he didn't quite make it as big as Kane, but at least it was... Res- yeah. Well, I don't know how respectable it was being a, being a pimp, but I mean, at least it, at least it, it was over <laughs> the crowd. At least he didn't have like... He, he wasn't like the, the sucking black vortex of heat. You yes. Know? He, he was one of those few guys that when you hear the first couple notes of their music, the place would just go nuts. You know, it was like they would just hear that... And the crowd would be on their feet, erupting cheers. And here he comes out doing the old, you know, his old pimp strut that he would do or whatever. Oh, my gosh. He was hysterical. He was hysterical. Um, And always accompanied by at least uh, two or three or four ladies who uh, worked at uh, local dancing establishments, shall we say. Yes. Which, uh, you know, got to make a living. So, uh, yeah. And so unfortunately we, we had to draw the line. And so the line has been drawn, sir. Uh, any other thoughts on the nineties, uh, wrestling wise, uh, or are you ready to jump into these brackets, sir? No, uh, like, uh, like, uh, like, uh, the, what was that referee? Uh, I forget what his first name was, but uh, he was a judge. He was actually a judge. Wasn't he like the mills guy? Oh, um, oh, yeah. I forget his name. You're right. But just like he always used to say in all the death matches, let's get on. That's right. That's right. Wow, there's another 90s reference that you don't hear. The MTV yeah. Celebrity Deathmatch. Oh it's almost God. like we should have just broken this into like two two parts, like do oh. bracket A and bracket, bracket B and then have and then do a Yes, because C. we definitely needed to spend more time on this episode. Yes, well, we you know. totally did. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so play in bracket. Well, this right, is going to be interesting. Bracket. So uh, starting off opening rounds, uh, we have Kevin Nash slash Diesel. This is an interesting one because of the fact that it's almost like Diesel versus Diesel in a way. Yes. <laughs> or Diesel versus fake Diesel. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Kevin Nash versus Kane, who, of course, as we alluded to, Glenn Jacobs was at one point faux Diesel when Vince thought he could keep the Diesel gimmick going. And, well, that just fell flat on its face. No one will notice. No one will notice. No one will notice. Okay, well, then they did. Whatever, whatever they, they say, did. Vince. Yeah, they noticed. Yes. So Kevin Nash, uh, basically, uh, from and as we go through these, I I should remind users here, uh, users, sorry, listeners, see work 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 creeping in there. Sorry. Oh my god. Um, 
you know, as, as we, as we talk about these, you know, we're, we're trying to evaluate them from really just the, the decade that we're in, um, mm-hmm. and, and not before and not after, um, and really trying to evaluate impact and, uh, you know, to the business, uh, as a whole and, and really the body of work, you know, across the decade. So we'll have some interesting discussions around that. Cause a few of these folks, even though they made it in, you know, some of them didn't exactly have a long run, you know, in the nineties, but still were, were very impactful nonetheless. Yes, so indeed. With Kevin. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying yes, indeed. I was agreeing with you. Oh, thank you. Uh, so with Kevin Nash, uh, you know, really in the um, oh, sorry, I was trying to pull up him on online here. Um, yeah. So was in WCW um, kind of in the early part of the 90s, came to WWE in 93, had a run until 96 and then went to WCW from 96 to the end of the decade. Um, really in WWE came in as Shawn Michaels bodyguard, uh, then became his own, his, his own man at some point and ultimately world champion, uh, beating Bob Backlund in like, you know, five seconds. Um, because Poor someone Bob. at some point realized, why did we put the strap on Bob? But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what they did before, you know, before with, uh, before Hogan too. Bob is always the man. He's the man before the man, you know, that he's, is right. He's not that the man. Right. He's the man sitting next to the man, sitting it, next it, to the man. Exactly. Sit next to the man. Exactly. Jeez. Oh, Actually, in some ways, Nash is, is is the embodiment of wrestling in the '90s. Because when you look at his early '90s stuff, he did the Master Blasters. He did Oz. <laughs> he was Vinny Vegas. He runs through oh. all these like awful gimmicks, uh-huh. and then he becomes Diesel, works his way into a world champion, um, becomes a, a hot free agent when it comes time for contracts to be negotiated. Goes to WCW, launches one of the most you know impactful factions with uh, Scott Hall and Hogan in the New World Order. Um, world champion again a few times. So I mean, by the time we get to the end of the decade, he has a pretty pretty good uh, resume of of work that he's done o- over the course of that time period. So. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Very impressive. So, yep. Took advantage of the opportunities. Indeed. Indeed. And then we have Kane, Glenn Jacobs. And so uh, here, you know, Kane uh, starts wrestling or makes his debut. I believe it was in 97. Yeah. 97 is when uh, the Kane character appears at, um, I believe it was Bad Blood. Yes. And uh, in your house in 97. The first Hell in a Cell match. First Hell in a Cell match. And, uh, and so, yeah, and, and, and makes a very impactful debut there, um, goes on to have, uh, you know, really an amazing run with The Undertaker, um, you know, telling a, I mean, really having that story go for a better part of a year, um, continuing on into 98 and 99. Eventually, they, uh, they start to play around with the Kane, you know, character a little bit, being a babyface, um, teaming up with Taker. I mean, at one point he was teaming up with X-Pac. Um, but yeah, just, just the, the Kane character just becomes this, this really, um, you know, having this, the story that goes as long as it does, you know, with the undertaker, but, but having, um, you know, what Jacobs does with this and the way that, that he puts forth Kane and, and, and is able to, you know, kind of adapt him, um, over time after they kind of get through the initial undertaker, uh, matchup, what was impressive because he, he, he could have been pigeonholed and could have been stereotyped into like one role 
and really kind of took took this character and and brought him into like new new areas through his his body acting and through you know a lot of uh, you know a lot of the work that he did. But um, so so those are are, are are the two. What 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 are some thoughts that you have on on both of these uh, fine competitors, sir? I mean, Kane for for the amount of time that we're going to be addressing the character, like you said, you know, really two three years. Max uh, of the decade had an outsized impact during that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, he was a a bespoke uh, opponent created, you know, for the Undertaker because Mm -hmm. they needed a they needed an opponent to to kind of put up against the Undertaker, and he'd already run through everyone else. And to have the debut that he did, you know, in the and you know at the end of the first Hell in the Cell, which is already you know a classic match in and of itself to come down, rip off the door to, you know, to actually have the first time that the undertaker really shows any emotion. That was the first time that the undertaker looked shocked. That really showed any right. kind of emotion in a, 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 to anybody. Um, when he came face to face with Kane and then to, for Kane to tombstone undertaker and leave him laying. I mean, that just didn't happen with undertaker. So the, the debut in and of itself merits his inclusion here because it yeah. was, it, it had a huge impact on, you know, what was already an impactful character. And then I, I believe he actually won the won the WWE championship in this yes. time, too, in the first yep. couple of years. Yep. He also had the uh, the the uh, uh, what is it? Burned alive or the, the fire. Oh, match. the inferno match. Yeah, inferno, inferno match, match. Yeah. which is iconic. Yep. Uh, that yep. that was crazy. And and of course all the back and forth with Undertaker and and just for even for those few years like he he was everywhere you know yep. and and was all over the place. However, Kevin Nash NWO like like mm-hmm. you said it essentially kickstarts the Monday Night Wars the the battle between WCW and WWE that would define wrestling going forward. Yes, not just in this decade and between those two companies, but even even now like the the business is still in a way, still kind of trying to figure out how it's supposed to be structured without that direct competition. And it's been a vacuum ever since WCW got bought by Vince. Kevin Nash was was one of the people behind that. And I mean, probably I think had the biggest impact because he then went on to become Booker and all that stuff. So, I mean, in this matchup, as much as I, I love Kane and the character and, and everything there, I got to go with Kevin Nash. I mean, yeah, you have a bespoke opponent for the Undertaker, or you have one of the the main people of the NWO. Yep, uh, yeah. that changed. That didn't just change wrestling; that changed culture. So that was everywhere. Yeah. So Kevin Nash wins this one for me. Yeah, I, I I I'm going the same way. I um yeah, I, I think you made some great points about Kane and and you know the amount of impact that that character had in in a, a much more compressed period of time. We'll be talking about Kane in the 2000s bracket because that that character continues onward, you know, through the 2000s has impact there as well. Um, you know, and, and that kind of thing, but yeah, when when you put them together, you know, Nash across the decade and and especially, you know, with his work in WCW, which let's be honest is built upon the fact that he was a WWE guy, you know, like like the entire yeah. NWO thing, you know, resonates because 
there, there were, there were barriers being, you know, kind of broken that had never really been, uh, you know, broken before. And, 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 you know, especially from a backstage perspective, when, when they come down and they say, you know, and he and Scott Hall kind of introduce themselves from the North and that sort of thing, there's all this implication that they're from WWE and that they're invading. And there are fans that really thought that's what was happening. They, they really, Mm -hmm. that, that was what was so interesting with the NWO is there was this, you know, real suspension of, 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 you know, reality in, in a way, because, um, because some folks actually thought this was happening. And so they did a great job of framing that and portraying that and so yeah i i 100 go with kevin nash as well um you know K- kane is good kane is ha- has his place but but right now in this bracket uh, i think it's kevin nash i agree all right next match uh yes, as as uh as i the sherpa take you through the yeah we might we might have to wrestlers we, we might need to give the sherpa a little red bull here because otherwise we're going to be here the entire night i'm, yeah, I'm just know, pointing I that know. out i'll move it along i'll move it along okay. but just i'm just saying I've, I've done my cardio i'm ready i'm ready right. i'm ready to follow sir all right i had mine as well i'm feeling good <laughs> uh big van vader uh against triple h so this is an interesting one uh vader was uh big a big part he, his career is interesting because it's almost like the reverse of nash he he kind of had a, a big splash in the early 90s he was a monster heel in wcw uh world champion um just super just heavyweight real, like oh god i'm sorry i was gonna say yeah. the super heavyweight like he was a yeah. he was a large human being yeah, and, and, and intimidating, you know, like like when he would fight, I mean, he was coming in brawling. He was using <laughs> that that size that he had in a very violent and vicious way. And apparently um, stiff as hell to work with. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see him punch and there, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot being pulled on that one. So, <laughs> no, I mean, Leon made sure that, you know, if you got to be sure, you just lay it right in there anyways. And you apologize afterwards, I guess, Uncle, was his philosophy. Uncle Todd's doing the stone cold hands up saying I was a little snug. Yeah. <laughs> you taters in there. There's a few potatoes. That's all. You know, everything that Leon threw was oh like it was God. a potato. Just and, yeah. and who's going to argue with him? Who's going to go back and, and want to pick a yep. fight with Vader after the match? You yeah. know? Yeah. Jeez. So so he, he was a real staple in WCW managed by Harley Race, which was great because Harley Race carried a lot of cachet being, you know, former world champion, former, you know, opponent of Ric Flair's from the 80s and that sort of thing. So, you know, he, he had a really great run, had some you know great matches with, um, I believe, with uh, Sting, Cactus Jack, um, and then uh, um, ultimately with... Um, uh, I said, yeah, Cactus Jack, and oh, and then Ric Flair. Um, Flair coming back from his time in WWE, um, and and being a babyface against uh, the the heel Vader, um, you, you know, re- really kind of in in a very non Flair kind of way, being kind of the under the Rocky underdog in that story, and, and beating him mm. for the world title. So yeah, Vader had a great run in the early '90s, um, and then he transitions over to WWE in '96, um, and this is where you know, he comes in, but he's not, he he comes in, he's kind of pushed as a monster, but not in the same way in WCW. And so he kind of languishes in the mid card had, had a feud with Shawn Michaels for the world title. Um, very strange match where he pins Michaels, but then they restart the match and then Michaels pins him. So it was very kind of anticlimactic because you thought Vader won and then Vader lost. And it was very, apparently didn't Michaels not like working with him? Like he was, he literally thought he was out. He was dangerous. At that point in time, I wouldn't surprise me if Michaels didn't like him. <laughs> yeah, Michaels, I don't and, know that liked liked a lot of people. So very true. That is, this is this is pre before losing his smile and, and yes, 
and firmly with, when he was ensconced in his pain in the ass phase. Yes, yes. Uh, and then, yeah, and then Vader just kind of petered out. He he spent some time tagging with with Owen Hart, um, and uh, I, I believe he was part of a stable with Yokozuna, Owen Hart, um, and they would take on British Bulldog uh, and I think Ahmed Johnson, Jake Roberts. So, um, yeah, so so just kind of languished a bit, and then and then he just kind of disappeared in '97. You know, le- left the company and went to All Japan Pro Wrestling. So, so Vader, um, you know, having some early impact now. Triple H probably don't need to run through all of his resume because I think, I think folks are pretty familiar with, with him. Uh, well, if you're a wrestling fan, but he comes to prominence in 95, um, spent a little bit of time in 93 to 95 in WCW as, uh, the, the, you know, ironically named Tara rising, um, which I just love that name. (laughs) What what was a thought there? I, I, I don't don't know. It's let's, let's do wordplay. Shall we? Um, but he he then transformed into a you know kind of a a French blue blood that teamed with Lord Steven Regal and uh, and then he kind of took that gimmick into WWE as as Hunter Hearst Helmsley the Connecticut blue blood so no 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 longer doing French although if you do want to look that up it was really funny to listen to Paul Levesque try to do a French accent that was pretty no, funny I don't I don't ever need to hear that I just Blair don't. made him do he's like oh anyways so. Um, <laughs> comes in in 95 French Canadian maybe I mean maybe yeah. I could buy that yes like a really bad French Canadian accent that would have been glorious actually yes yes uh but yeah c- comes in 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 95 um languishes a little bit um has, has a f- you know has a few good uh feuds with with some of the mid-card guys um you know has has some some good stuff with uh, a young Rocky Maivia and then um over time you know becomes uh partnered up with Shawn Michaels as the Attitude Era begins establishes dx which again similar to nwo becomes quite influential uh in the attitude era um and and just kind of grows in prominence from there uh when Shawn michaels leaves takes over dx um really really is one of the main drivers of that faction um wins the intercontinental championship a lot of great uh feuds with rock with austin um and and others and then uh toward the end of the decade uh, end of the decade uh becomes a world champion um Mm. through through just that that journey that that he went on so you know his is an interesting story where it doesn't really kind of pick up until about you know more in the late 90s but just just the 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 presence he had across you know uh, wcw and wwe was uh was just kind of one of just you know incremental growth um and until finally he is you know a main event guy at the end of the decade yeah if if we were talking about i would say that vader to me is more like what if Kevin Nash had never gone to WCW? Mm. What if all the high points were at the beginning of the decade back when business was not at its best, when you're in a desert period and ratings are not even close to what they were in the eighties, let alone what they would be at the end of the decade when, you know, there was literally millions and millions of millions of people tuning into Monday night wrestling combined between the two shows. Um, Whereas triple H, I mean, Granted, yeah, the beginning of the decade, not all that great, but when business was booming, hmm. he was a huge, once, once business really got rolling in the attitude area, he was a very integral part mm-hmm. of the roster. Yep. You know, like even when he was in the mid card, he was one of those guys that, and and you kind of need this in any kind of roster. It's like building a, any kind of roster. You, yeah, you got your stars and you got kind of like, you know, the folks who are you know, the Jags, you know, just a guy. 
you know, you, you mm. need warm bodies down down at the bottom to kind of keep things going. But you need those you need solid people, like almost like in a basketball team, the six man. Yeah. You know, who in some cases could be a starter. Yeah. But they want that guy coming off the bench so that it provides a spark. And you want that kind of anchor when you're resting some of your top guys. Mm-hmm. He filled that nicely and then even became that one of those top guys. Yeah. So, I yep. mean, in, in my opinion, Triple H takes this one just because being that important to a, to a company when business is that good mm-hmm. outweighs being important to a company when business ain't really great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, 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 and I, and I, I would agree with that as well. I think Vader, you know, Vader had a strong start in the early nineties, but, but really, you know, I, and I, and I don't want to diminish what he did, but I mean, he, he just, when he came to WWE, I had greater hopes for him. And if he had gone on a similar run as he did in WCW with the world title, I think then it would be a harder decision but because mm-hmm. he didn't it's it's re- it's it's easy to just kind of go with triple h because of the fact that the impact it just seems to be greater on that side and 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 you know there's a lot more memorable feuds from that you know with you know i, I named off a few names cactus jack is another one that comes to mind only because i remember mick foley you know getting him on that table up up on the raw stage and doing that that stunt pile driver he does that just looks so freaking vicious through the table with yep. triple h you know and i mean they just had brawls and so he yeah he he's he's someone who who i think you know impact wise and just growth wise was just just stronger this decade so i agree going with them yep all right next uh, oh sorry i was just saying next oh okay uh next one is uh this is an interesting one we have china our our sole female entrant wonder of the world ladies and gentlemen wonder of the world uh against ddp diamond dallas page bang Um, bang uh, do you want to run through China? Because I know I, I know China uh, is is someone you you have, uh, and I don't mean this flippantly. Like you have an affinity for because of the impact that she made in the '90s. So do, do you want to kind of walk through her her uh, cred- credentials a little bit here? Well, yeah, and I think I, I think because when we first were putting this together, you know, I because I, I I didn't even think about it because I looked at your initial list and I didn't see anything. And then when I looked at it again, I'm like, wait a minute, China's not on there. Mm. And really, if you go back to where women's wrestling is right now, which I think is if you look at if you look at women's wrestling now and you look at women's wrestling back in like (laughs) pre 95, there's no direct path Mm -hmm. from where it's at now to to where it was because it was all hair pulling. I mean, I'm not even going to get into like where it was during the Attitude Era, where you had like, Braun <laughs> panty matches and all this, and, and Jerry Lawler doing puppies, 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 and all that. I'm just talking about like going back to like the Great Moolah school of women's wrestling, which was the hair, the hair mares, and you know, just like flopping around and and nothing really high impact or nothing all that, you know, nothing all that great. There was nothing really technical about it, you know. It was just a spectacle and it was like, okay, it's kind of like the popcorn match, you know, like, oh, if you go, if you go get popcorn now, you're not missing much. China provides the beginning and a bridge to where women's wrestling is now, where you have women who are legit wrestlers and who, I mean, there's a reason why we've had women headlining WrestleMania in the past five or six years and why those matches have found themselves higher and higher up the cards and why in a lot of these pay-per-views that we've reviewed, I, I like the women's matches 
better than uh, than a lot of the men's matches because I'm like, there's actual technical wrestling taking place here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell yeah. that they're going out there and they're really trying to get into the psychology of the match because they're really trying to get over into to, to up the game. China starts all that. You know, she came in as as uh, Triple H's bodyguard and mm-hmm. was really like like Shawn Michaels and Triple H after watching the, the China biography. This was I thought this was really interesting how they really fought for her to be the bodyguard and not mm-hmm. to just be in the valet because they're like nobody has a female bodyguard. And and you look at her and you're like, well, of course she could be because, dear God, I mean, have you seen her? The the death stare. She she. I mean, I, oh, that, that, that was the thing that stood out to me when you and I would watch those shows is just that mm-hmm. death stare she gave was like oh, un, it, unheard of or or, or just was, unparalleled, unparalleled. It was just like there was nothing there. Like it was. It's that. It's that sort of thing. Like it's a killer look because it literally just doesn't care. Like. Eh, that person, you know, it's it's almost like Ivan Drago. Like, if 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 he dies, he dies. You know that sort of thing. Like that was just the look, and that's all she had to do for so long is just come out there, stand with her arms crossed, and just stare. And everyone's watching her. <laughs> you know, they're keeping one eye on her because like yeah. when she gonna do something, and then she finally started getting involved. And the fact was that I mean, it went beyond what women's wrestling was at the time. And it started pushing this into this other area and they started getting more women's workers and stuff like that. But she was actually getting involved with the men and be, and becoming physically involved in matches. And like eventually guys started selling for her and started getting her over. And, and she went on to, you know, to have be the first women, first woman to ever enter the, the Royal Rumble back when there was, it was just one Rumble match. There wasn't a women's Rumble match. It was just the Royal Rumble. She's the first woman to ever enter it. Uh, she was the first woman to ever win the Intercontinental Championship. And so far, the only woman, woman to ever win the Intercontinental Championship, a men's title. You know, and she, yeah, she held the women's, you know, the women's title and stuff like that. But that was kind of like an afterthought, you know, and that was when they tried to get her into the women's division and all that. And, and yeah. things kind of went haywire and went wrong and all that. But I mean, again, another person who affected culture beyond wrestling in the same way that like the NWO was not just, you know, in the same way that Austin 316 wasn't just a wrestling thing it became a cultural thing where people outside of wrestling the same way that people do impressions of macho man randy savage who don't even know squat about wrestling oh yeah people knew who china was you know i mean she was kind of she kind of transcended the business in a way so yeah. i mean for yeah. her i mean this it's kind of important to have her here because this is really the beginning of where you get to the point where you have you know you have becky lynch you have yeah. Charlotte Flair. You yeah. have, I mean, and before that, you have Lita. You have Trish Stratus. You and you have, you know, you have these women who are capable of doing this. And until you get to the point where you have a Bianca Belair, um, uh, Sasha Banks main event for WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. You know, that's this is where it starts mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also the reason why. I mean, I I have a feeling that we are going to see Rhea Ripley challenging for the ic belt at some point mm, yeah i don't think it's yeah. that far down the road i think that's where it's heading because yeah i mean yeah it'll be great to see her wrestle you know charlotte but you know it, it seems like they're heading that direction with her you know yeah um yeah. so but that none of that happens unless you have china yep 
Well, I'll uh, I'll speak to Diamond Dallas Page, and then we'll talk about who who we pick. But um, but yeah, no, I, I hear on all counts. I mean, she she certainly influential, certainly impactful, and and really in a very compressed time period, very similar to Kane. I think it was ninety seven to two thousand. Um, yeah, Diamond Dallas Page, um, you know his, his credentials. Um, you know, are really around being in WCW for, for the entirety of the decade, um, starting out as a manager, uh, working his way into uh, becoming a wrestler uh, at, at some point in in the mid-90s, um, you know, really turned the corner and became a wrestler late in his um, kind of athletic life, if you will. You know, most, most athletes, you know, kind of function between the ages of 20 and 40. And, uh, you know, DDP, I believe, was starting to really get involved um, you know, wrestling wise, I think in around 95, 96, when he was, you know, kind of in his late thirties, getting into his forties and, uh, and really, you know, as the Monday night wars heated up, he became, um, you know, one of the linchpins, you know, if, if sting is up in the rafters, staring down at the NWO and giving him the stink eye, DDP was really the first one to, to kind of start taking the war to them. Um, and, and, you know, do it in a way that, that was really impactful, really got the crowd off their feet. Um, and, and became kind of that, that people's champion, um, you know, without saying it like the rock, you know, joked and, and, and did himself. I mean, Paige would go in the crowd that, 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 that kind of became his thing. You know, he, you know, when he won the world title, take, took it into the crowd and, and, and was with the people. Uh, and so he, he just kind of became the standard bearer of, of that decade or, or the latter half of the decade as just kind of that workman's champion and, and, and you know, had, had this really great finisher, the, the diamond cutter, which looked really impressive. Impressive. I mean, I kind of put that up against the, the 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 DDT in terms of, you know, the the, the viciousness and and the ability to kind of you know pull it out of nowhere, um, mm. before Randy Orton made that a thing, uh, and so yeah, I, I, I so for for Page just just you know he had kind of a similar path as Kevin Nash did, maybe, you know, not as impactful in terms of starting his own, you know, kind of faction in the same way that, that, that Kevin Nash did, but at the same time, um, you know, really being, you know, one of the few soldiers that went against the NWO and was kind of fighting for, you know, the, the, the WCW brand and franchise. And so, uh, so yeah, so, so that's DDP, but, uh, what, sir, is your selection on, on this one? I'm going with China. Just All for right. the fact of, of being so influential for for being a woman in, in a man's world and for really getting to a point in this decade where, in again, in that very small period of time, really having an outsized influence mm-hmm. and doing things that no one had done before. Yeah. Um, yep. I think that I think that merits a win. Uh, DDP, believe me, uh, anytime I see, you know, older cats doing stuff, you know, I'm I'm happy because I'm now in that bracket. Um, however, it, it just doesn't quite match up. But I want to run this by you because I yes. wonder if I can if I can play a little game of uh, stump the man they call Tim. OK. And this falls within the 1990s. Yes. Did you know that? that Diamond Dallas Page actually was in the WWF in the 1990s. Uh, I I knew he was in the WWF. I didn't know it was in the, was it 1990? It was 1990. Okay. He he was actually part of WrestleMania 6. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he, he came in with, with Honky Tonk and Greg Valentine, right? He drove there. He drove the Cadillac. 
Ah, very nice. And apparently, nice. sitting passenger seat was Sensational Sherry in in a wig. Oh, really? Playing, like one of the one of the Bobby Sock, uh, you know, fans of Honky Tonk and and Greg the Hammer Valley. They were called Rhythm and Blues. Oh yeah, and as we've talked about before, <laughs> best forgotten. As <laughs> forgotten. Very nice, sir. I I, I am impressed with uh, you know pulling that nugget out. Well, you know, I well as Owen Hart would say, I am not a nugget. Yes, that's, yes. actually that was more Cartman. Sorry, Owen. That that was a good Cartman though. Uh, yeah, uh, while acknowledging that. China's contributions and impact and and understanding why you chose her, uh, I I am a bit in in the bag for Diamond Dallas Page <gasps> and his contributions. So I am going to. Select DDP uh, as the winner of this bracket for me. All right, fine. So you go just, ahead and you know engage in your misogynistic ways. Oh, and come on now. <laughs> <laughs> well, then uh, we should just skip ahead because China's going to be your pick in every bracket. You know, moving forward, right? <laughs> I was, I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> I've had I've had I three seltzers here. I'm full of bubbles. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what do we got up next, sir? Uh, all right, we're almost to the end of the play-in. So Ron Simmons versus Yokozuna. Um, Ooh, yeah. This this is a great one. Ron Simmons, uh, you know, having a, uh, you know, r- really a, in, an outsized impact from really the beginning of the decade all the way through. Uh, in WCW, um, starting out in a, in a tag team called Doom with Butch Reed, um, very, very intimidating, very you know, kind of powerhouse oriented and, and impressive. And, and they went on a really good run. Uh, and then in the early nineties, really one of the things uh, Simmons is distinguished by is uh, when, when he defeated Vader um, for the WCW heavyweight championship, uh, he became the second uh, African-American wrestler to win a world heavyweight title on uh, the first, I believe to win the WCW title. So um, I thought it was, so- I thought he was the first. First for WCW, I believe second overall. Um, oh, okay. I, I don't know who the first was. I'm wondering if it was from the 70s or not. But huh, okay. Um, I that's a good point. I should probably look that up. But but that is a distinction he has is is having earned that. Um, you know, especially starting out as a tag team wrestler, and you know, kind of was in the mid card, um, but had a really good feud with Vader that that you know resulted in that championship win. Uh, and then now uh, for you, sir, a little uh, factoid for you. Did you know Ron Simmons uh, did wrestle for ECW? I do seem to remember that, and you know what it. I like it was a very brief stint, but it would make it sense because I mean, yes, yes. It, Ron is another one of those guys who it's like everything that he does, like his spine buster is one of like it makes me hurt when I watch it <laughs> because it is so fast and so crisp yeah. and just the just the sound is just different. Yeah. You know, yep. than anybody else. And it's just that wham. And you're like, oh, dear God. Yep. That that had to sting a yep. little bit. Oh my gosh! But yeah, no. Oh, he's he would be the perfect person for extreme extreme championship wrestling. Like people would be actually terrified of 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 him. Like yeah, he knows this is this is fixed, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's funny. So from ECW in that short uh, stint, he goes to WWE. Uh, As we alluded to, he starts out in a gladiator gimmick as Farouk, uh, which, you know, looks like he he was probably part of a cast of of WrestleMania 9 when they were in Vegas, you know, hauling people in on on the old Roman, uh, you know, uh, not sleds, those thrones that they would carry on their shoulders. Um, That that was Simmons initially. And then uh, later that year... um, he trans he basically transitioned out of that gimmick into becoming the leader of the nation of domination, which did become, um, you know, a really strong faction, you know, for, for basically that 96 to 98 period, um, had a lot of great, great, uh, feuds, um, had, had a great, uh, you know, kind of breakup feud with the rock, uh, who was part of the nation at the time. Uh, and, and the rock kind of took over and cast him out. Um, I was actually present uh, for a show uh, in Durham, New Hampshire, at the uh, hallowed halls of UNH and the Wintermore Center uh, when when Raw came to town, and uh, that that was the episode where Stone Cold threw the Intercontinental Title off the General Sullivan Bridge in uh, <laughs> Newington. Uh, and uh, but but one of the things I very distinctly remember, you know, just one of those memories that just burns in your brain because you're just floored when you see this guy. Simmons is just huge. I mean, I, oh, yeah. he just walks down and I'm like, that man's arms are, are just insanely, insanely huge. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was, I mean, tree he just, trunks, he, tree he trunks was, for arms. Like, yeah. it, like his, 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 that's one of those dudes that you look at. And it's like their biceps are like most people's, you know, like most big people's thigh, you yes. know? And then you look yep. at his thighs, you're like, yep. Oh, that's my waist. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just, just an impressive, impressive athlete and, uh, uh, and, and just, just, just a fun time, you, you know, to see, see, uh, like we had second row seats, very, very close. Um, just, just, just had a, had, had a great time seeing that, but yeah, Simmons was just so impressive. Um, and I think that was around the time the, he and the rock were, were kind of, uh, going through that, that nation breakup thing, which was pretty fun to, to watch. So, uh, but from, you know, from the nation, um, Simmons then goes on and, uh, becomes part of the acolytes with Bradshaw. At first, they're kind of like these uh, demonic, you know, uh, subjects of of uh, of the Undertaker. And then they, if 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 one thing with Simmons is this, he he somehow turns something that was intended for one gimmick and then turns it into something that was almost on the complete other extreme of of that gimmick. So he goes mm-hmm. from Farouk the 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 gladiator to the leader of of you know kind of like like a Black Panther Party kind of you know group. Then he goes and. Uh, starts out as this demonic, you know, kind of uh, subject, and then becomes the beer swilling, cigar smoking, <laughs> card playing, um, you know, counterpart to John Bradshaw Layfield as the acolyte protection agency, who become hired guns that just kind of came down to the ring and beat the snot out of people when people paid them. So, um, one of my favorite gimmicks ever i just love that brilliant gimmick it was a brilliant gimmick and they had like they and they would set up a door frame no walls just a door a door Mm -hmm. in a door frame with like two by fours to to keep it upright and you had to go up and knock and there was that time that the rock went around yeah and like why you not knock another he goes out and knocks on the door like hey man how you doing oh it's like oh my gosh it's so ridiculous but at the same time it's like what a life these guys lead like wait a minute so we get paid to wrestle yeah. And as part of the show, you want us just to sit around, play cards, drink beer and smoke cigars. Are we sure this is legal? Like, is it legal <laughs> to have this much fun? 
Like, come on. That and oh, and funny. we just get to go and like kick people's butts. Like, you know, we we don't really ever take a beating. Yeah. They all do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, my so, gosh. So that is Ron Simmons in a nutshell across the 90s. And then we have Yokozuna, um, who, oh, before I finish with Ron Simmons, how can we forget his his impactful one word <laughs> line that he utters whenever what he's a, on the camera nowadays? The greatest catchphrases ever. Damn. Ever. <laughs> Which is great because it was again. It's like well, the reason they put the APA together. Well, they're all they're all sitting around drinking beer and playing cards and stuff. So you might as well do it on camera. And apparently, that's right. like that's Ron Simmons has just been saying that forever. Like just yeah. anything is a yeah. tail, you yeah. know. And it would it would have all these different connotations because you know, there's times it would be an exclamation. Other times you're like, damn, yeah, <laughs> just disappointment. It was, yeah. it's, oh, it's so great, so great. Uh, and then, you, you know, Yokozuna had a very, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, Yokozuna mirrors a bit of, of Vader, you know, in, in terms of having a really strong kind of early 90s, um, just being this monster heel, mm. um, you know, sumo wrestler type who, who you know, wrestles his way into the world championship picture, um, beats Bret Hart. Um, WrestleMania 9 is just, what a joke of a main event. I, I shouldn't say that. Bret Hart and Yokozuna was a great match because yeah. Bret Hart wrestling against someone who, you know, in theory could just throw him around, you know, like a rag doll and just, just had to, I mean, Bret Hart had great matches with everyone at this time. Um, also great- keep in mind, much like Vader, Yoko was, for his size, pretty damn light on his feet. Yes. Same as Vader. Yes. Like Vader can actually move around for a guy that size, which is oh, yeah. frightening when you think about it. Like someone that big shouldn't move that fast. Like yes. that's just not fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a- right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, so Yokozuna loses the world title. He does have the distinction, you know, a couple of months later of being, you know, the, the, the man that basically uh, pins Hulk Hogan, gets the world title. And then that's when Hogan leaves WWE and goes to WCW. So, yeah. So Yoko has, has a has a several year run, you know, as, you know, kind of world champion, like one or two years as, as you know, kind of dominating the world title picture. But then after that, um, I, I don't know if that's I, I remember watching the it was wasn't biography, but it was some uh, show on WWE Network that was yeah, looking it was at his life. Icon, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and and uh, so I don't know if mid nineties is roughly when he started to really bulk out, and and his health was really yeah. starting to get called into question. But he then later, you know, tags with Owen Hart. Um, managed by Jim Cornette, I believe, and um, and really, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of goes the the path of Vader, where he just more and more is is kind of languishing, and then I believe he ends up getting released. Um, I think. Uh, let me just look him up real quick. Uh, gets released. Well, part of it was he was he was getting so big, and then he was he was slowing down because yeah. his gimmick was always the fact that he was big, but then he started to slow down, and they were like, I think the, the WWE. I believe in the in the biography they only talked about him doing the Duke uh, like uh, weight loss program at home, but I think they also tried to actually send him to a place like they they tried twice yeah. to try yeah. and get him his weight under control, and eventually they released him because of, like he was just it, it was getting to the point where he was going to die on on their hands, right? And I think they it, were just like we can't have this. Yeah, it was know? like ninety eight is when he, when he was released. So yeah, so so he had a strong start, but unfortunately. Um, you know, d- due to health and otherwise, um, you know, was let go. So what say you, sir, on this bracket? We have uh, Ron, damn, Simmons, and Yokozuna. Uh, who are you going with? I mean, Yoko, what, multi-time, mm-hmm. at least at least twice, uh, mm-hmm. you know, heavyweight champion, multi-time 
tag champion, I believe, mm-hmm. and was a like you said, monster heel. However, Ron, I mean, was impactful throughout most of the decade. Yeah. You know, and and I did look it up, and it's weird. I'm getting two different answers from Ron Simmons' own Wikipedia page. It says that he was the first uh, African American WCW heavyweight champion, and then when I just Google, because then I'm like, okay, well, who was the first? Because they're like, he was the first there and the second overall. And then I googled who was the first African American wrestling champion, and it comes up with Ron Simmons. So I'm well, like, let's okay. give it to him. Let's give it to him. The Google I'm, doesn't I'm, lie. Yeah, I mean, apparently that's what WWE is claiming that over that he see. is he is the first legit African American champion of a major promotion. So I mean, I'm I'll go with it. Whatever. Gotcha. I think he gotcha. gets the nod there because not only did he accomplish that, and yeah, he didn't have a long title reign, but mm-hmm. it, it's it's a moment. It's one of those things, sort of like with a with a with with someone like you know China, where there it's just it's it's bigger than the business in a way. Mm-hmm. And but then you also get into the fact that like. He had impact as you know the head of the nation of domination. He oh, was yeah. also you know the the, the acolytes, and then also um, you know the APA. Like all of that happened within the stretch of a few years, which is yeah. kind of crazy. And you and you look at the fact that the group that he was in launched the Rock, mm-hmm. D'Lo. I mean, all, I mean, he was always on TV and yeah. always a presence. And like you said, he was just one of those guys that you. Re- I mean, you remembered watching because it, oh, it yeah. felt like you actually felt him through the TV screen. Like that's he, how he, high impact he was. I mean, he he was one of the guys you look forward to seeing every Monday because yeah. it's like, what what is the APA going to do now, or what yeah. is the nation going to do now? And you brought up a really good point I, I should have mentioned, which is, you know, in in the same way that you know the the group Evolution in the two thousands was meant to you know elevate. Randy Orton and Batista through association with Flair and Triple H. Ron Simmons, like you just said, in in a lot of ways, Nation of Domination was to elevate Rock, was to elevate D'Lo, was to elevate, you know, those in the group. And and that gets missed sometimes because he still was an active wrestler. It wasn't like he was, you know, really toward the end of his career, but he he was doing that giving back to the business sort of thing, you know, with with those young guys and helping get them over and get them established to to move on to bigger and better things. And Rock definitely, you know, benefited from that. In a way, he's sort of like the the receiver who's playing opposite Jerry Rice. Yes. Uh, yes. What was the guy's name? Uh, Taylor something. Uh, something Taylor. John Taylor. Uh, John Taylor. When when Jerry Rice was first starting out playing, like yeah, it's great you have Jerry Rice, but there's very mm-hmm. few players that you can have no one on the other side of any note and still accomplish what he did. Like you have to be somewhat good on the other side, yeah. and he had that kind of. It's a bit of a thankless job. But if you look at like all these talent getting elevated and people getting over and, and things happening, like Ron was there throughout mm. all of that in the WWE as the, as the Attitude Era was was progressing. So I got to give it to Ron. Our final play in bracket is uh, actually two members of the 1980s bracket we've talked about already. So we'll we'll try to keep this one short and sweet. But we have the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, woo, against the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Dig it cream of the crop cream of the crop um so real quick uh you know i think flair's big distinction in the 90s uh is really across wwe and wcw um you know he had a one-year run in wwe or no was it one or two years i say it had to be two wasn't it because he he did if sorry, he not years. he did a lot yeah two two years uh two year run comes in with uh you know what what was at the time the NWA World Heavyweight Championship which again that that was the closest 
that was kind of the first barrier really in the nineties to get broken was to see that, that gorgeous big gold belt on WWE TV declaring himself heavyweights champion, the real heavyweights champion of the world. I, he, he did it that way too. The real, (laughs) yeah. In that flare way where he would start out soft and then crank the volume up and he, the real, (laughs) yep. The real world's heavyweight champion. Oh my gosh! And and pairing him up with Heenan was just like my God. Oh, it's yeah. like the, the, how much heat can you possibly have? That's uh, like a sun. It's burning. Be fair to flare. Oh my gosh! I remember Heenan during the Royal Rumble when he comes in as number one. He's like, "We be fair to flare." Wow. <laughs> It's fantastic. But he does have the distinction of winning uh, the first Royal Rumble that was for that had the stakes of the World Heavyweight Championship uh, up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Uh, had, had a really good run with that title. I had a great feud with Randy Savage. Um, albeit a little uh, uh, under auspicious circumstances, but you know, the, the old, I was with Elizabeth before you, you were routine apparently oh, seemed to, geez. you know, gain a little Which bit has of heat. An extra sting with flair because like he can make you believe it. Like that's one of those things where you're like, I don't know, did this actually happen? Like, yeah. 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 You just never know. I mean, you know, he is. Oh a, my gosh. He is a kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing son of a son gun. Of gun. Uh, and so, yeah, had a really strong run, had a great um, feud with Kurt Henning while he was in WWE, which ultimately led to, you know, um, or led to his leave. Sorry, the feud didn't lead to his leaving, but he had that feud as his last feud before he left. Mm. And, uh, and it was a really good one. Um, then he comes to WCW, as we talked about beats Vader for the world heavyweight championship. Um, I'm looking at this on Wikipedia and I found this really interesting. I didn't notice this when I was going through before. Apparently he has the distinction uh, on April 30th of 1995 flair wrestled Antonio Inoki. Get this in front of 190,000 spectators in Pyongyang, North Korea at the May Day Stadium uh, in a losing effort under a joint show between New Japan Pro Wrestling and, and uh, WCW. Jeez. 200,000 people, dude. I had absolutely no idea. I had never heard of this. Yeah, so, that's that's an insane... I mean, yeah, that's just an insane number. It is an no insane number. No matter how number. you cut it. Um, so, yeah, so big impact there. Um, and then, you know, his other distinction during the 90s is being really the foil for the NWO with the Four Horsemen. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, in some ways being that sacrificial lamb, the Four Horsemen, strong group throughout the 80s. But when we get to the 90s, he, Arn Anderson, um, <laughs> are, are older. And and it's like he, those two guys and just two other randos. Yeah, I, I mean that, oh. that was when um, uh, Steve McMichael was was a horseman, which I thought always thought was hysterical. Um, I, I actually had to check before this show to make sure that I was not a horseman. Just yeah. and I didn't notice. Yeah. I I didn't know. I, 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 I didn't find a membership card, so I, I guess I'm out. Don't know why they didn't call up Oli. <laughs> I think there's a very good reason they didn't call up Oli. Yeah. <laughs> He's but, a grumpy uh, guy. They're like, hey, he's no fun. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah. So so the horsemen were were a big part of that feud for a long time, and then um, and then yeah, he he uh, you know won won the you know world heavyweight title again. Um, you know throughout I think one or two more times in the nineties to get to his sixteenth reign. Um, so yeah, so so just just Flair had had a really good um. Really, the '90s were were probably a continuation of of the success in the '80s, 
Um, and in a lot of ways, he, he was just a core, you know, piece of the WCW machine, you know, especially with, with getting over the NWO. Um, Randy Savage, on the other hand, um, you know, started out the 90s with with a really strong feud with the Ultimate Warrior, but that ended up, I, I believe, being a career ending match. Um, and really, he spent much of the 90s as a color commentator um, uh, and, and in some ways was in retirement. And then uh, he left WWE. He wanted to go back to wrestling. And so uh, in WCW, he went over there with Hogan, um, saw some uh, success there. I believe he was a world heavyweight champion. Um one or two times, uh, part of the NWO. Um, but you know, I, I, like, even though he had presence and even though he was, he was a part of that, I, he, you know, I don't know that he broke any new ground from where he was in the eighties. I think, you know, the eighties for him was, was really when he established himself as that kind of cultural icon, you know, with all the silly sayings that we've been saying, you know, from, from him with cream of the crop and so forth, uh, the, you know, the nineties was really just kind of a rehash of Randy Savage from the eighties, but in WCW. And so well, you, you also have to keep in mind, this was the snap into a slim Jim era for macho man. And yeah, fair enough. whether, I mean, as goofy of a crap as that is, as goofy as a hook to hang your hat, that is, that did cross culture. It's one of the reasons yep. why like, yeah, we are kind of talking about him is because he did once again. He kind of like managed to be one of those guys who transcended the business and yep. that people knew about because you're like, who is this wacky dude mm-hmm. who is who is like talking to me about Slim Jims, you know? And actually, yeah. wasn't if I remember right, wasn't this also the time he was in the first Spider-Man movie? Wasn't that in the '90s or was that uh, that 2000s? was in the 2000s? Okay. All right. Then never mind. The 2000s. Forget so. I ever said that. No worries. So, uh, so for me, um, you know, really when you put the two of them together, I mean, Flair and Savage, you know, both impactful during the 90s, but I'm going to actually give the nod to Flair this time. I feel like, you know, he, he kind of had a resurgence and, and really had a strong run throughout most of it and, and was a, you know, really kind of a cornerstone, um, you know, piece of WCW uh, to, to the point of, you know, being that sacrificial lamb to, to, uh, you know, allow this other group to really rise to prominence and, and, and that sort of thing. But, but all the time it was always back to, you know, Flair was not far from, you know, the world title picture or from the main event picture. Um, and it was called upon to, to really kind of, you know, fill that role. So I'm, I'm going to go with Flair over Savage, um, unlike the, the WrestleMania eight, uh, result. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to agree as well, um, because uh, first and foremost, I mean, Ric Flair was kind of the first guy to really walk between two worlds like and Mm -hmm. have that that idea of like, oh, you can have the dream match of of Flair versus Hogan for the first time ever. Like that was kind of a big thing when you went once you got into that era of, you know, television, making wrestling bigger, even though business is down and all that, like it was still a very big deal. And and the rumble win and then just, of course, also, you know, being the standard bearer in a, in a way for WCW, even though a lot of the company didn't want him to be, but they had to keep going back to him mm-hmm. because he was just there and he's just that damn good. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. he just is. You, they tried to keep, they tried to get rid of him. I don't know how many times, you yeah. know, with goofy, stupid stuff, but it was like, he was one of the most believable characters because he was that character. <laughs> like he, he lived the gimmick. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I got to give it to the nature boy. Nice. 
All right. Well, we're now in the official bracket after uh, all that uh, hemming and hawing about the plane. Three hours later, that's that's good. Now we so I'm thinking only these, another six to go, folks. We're I, we're humming right along. I'm thinking these first three we can run through pretty quick because we've already kind of done the 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 overview. So uh, Ooh, a lightning round, I like it. So for my first uh, quarterfinal matchup, right? Is that right? No, so let me see. Final, semifinal, <laughs> quarterfinal. I don't know what this is. Round no, I don't one. think we're in quarterfinals yet. Uh, Kevin Nash for me versus Triple H. Uh, who yes. do you have in your first? I've first got round? Nash versus Triple H. We've got Click versus Click here. Yes, we do. Clicksters. Um, what is your uh, selection, sir? Well, here's the thing. Like Kevin Nash, incredibly influential. However, you also have to look at some of the negatives when you when you get a little bit beyond like that play in okay nash was also a booker mm-hmm. and presided over a lot of like the downturn of wcw as well mm-hmm. when when wwe gained ground and started going back and forth like the finger poke of doom and, and, and this is this is nash kind of writing some of these things up mm-hmm. you, you know it could be argued that he presided over a over a down period when he was WWF champion, which I mean, mm-hmm. not necessarily his fault. The entire business was in downturn. But then he also presided over the booking of you know the, the beginning of the downturn for WCW, whereas Triple H was on the upswing. And I I just think that there's not as much of a stank <laughs> on him yet. The reign okay. of terror is yet to come. Yes. Um, yes. So I'm I'm going to go with Triple H here. All right. I'm actually going to go with Kevin Nash. And my, my reasoning enough. behind this is uh, when you look at body of work and, and impact, um, both of them are, are impactful. Both of them influential, clearly, in the decade. But I feel like, you know, with Kevin Nash's run being longer and the fact that, you know, NWO came first and mm-hmm. he was kind of that standard bearer for that, that you know, barrier breaking sort of thing with Scott Hall where, where they – you know, really we're kind of blurring those lines between are they, is the WWE really invading or not? I, I, I going to give the nod to Nash. Um, Triple H is coming to prominence and, and as we said, is, is kind of king of the castle kind of at the end of the decade, but Nash has been king for much longer. And to your point, yeah, he, he, he made some missteps and, and is, you know, part of some of those things, but, but I feel like the, the, the good outweighs the, uh, the bad here. So I'm going to go Kevin Nash on this one. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a legit choice either way. All right, next round one match. DDP for me versus Ron Simmons. Uh, for you, I believe it is China versus Ron Simmons. Yes, it is. And what say you, sir? This one's tough because I, I'm a big fan of Ron Simmons, mm-hmm. and, but I just think that I think that the way that China changed an entire portion of the industry that was just – literally it was just this kind of thing that was it was the appendix of 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 the wrestling business at that point it wasn't even a big deal like no one paid mm-hmm. attention to it or thought about it at that point like there yep. was no women's wrestling at this point to speak of in any kind of mainstream sense and you know it, it's a it's really a coin toss i could i could see either one of these on a different day i'm just mm-hmm. going with china this time because i just i i happen to think that it was a it's a huge ask to get her to all of a sudden turn an entire part of the industry that no one really gave two craps about mm-hmm. into something that people did care about and that now is on a, a somewhat equal footing as the guys. Yeah. I yep. think that's a, that's a lot. So I'm going with China. Fair enough. Who you got? 
Uh, in my bracket, I have DDP against Ron Simmons, and uh, I am going to advance. Uh, you know, again, Ron Simmons, impactful. You know, where where he went, and 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 really, um, you know, really had a, uh, a you know, gr- excuse me, damn fizzy water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it sneaks up on you. <laughs> you know, Ron Simmons. Oh. <laughs> Damn. Um, yeah, exactly. But uh, but for me, D, you know, DDP was just that. Um, you know, in some ways was, or, or not in some ways. He 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 was that work workers, you know, kind of champion. And and I and probably you know, well, this this is all really kind of based on our bias of of what we like. But I mm-hmm. I just really like his story. I, I like the way you know, even though he was older and you know was really playing a young man's game, he you know, was able to thrive and, and, you know, really, um, just, just had a really great career, uh, you know, during the mid to late nineties, um, through, through the wrestling he did through being world champion. You know, I, I forgot to mention, you know, he, he had the feud where, um, you know, really kind of broke into mainstream media with the Carl Malone, you know, and him versus Hogan and, and Rodman. Um, you know, that, that was a huge deal. And so I, you know, his, his impact, he, he was someone who shouldn't have been, who should not have been as successful as he was. And because of his hard work and because of the way he kind of worked his way through, I, I, I got to give the nod to DDP. So, uh, love Ron Simmons, but, but I feel like DDP gets the nod here. Damn. Damn. <laughs> All right. Our next, uh, first round matchup is, uh, woo, Ric Flair versus the Undertaker. Oh, I thought you were going to like some sort of gobbledygooker or something. No, that was no, I was going to do there. the dawn. I should have done rest in peace. Yes, do it. Um, <laughs> so we we've already overviewed Flair's uh, run in the '90s. Um, really, in a lot of ways, the '90s is the Undertaker. Um, he he mm-hmm. debuts in 1990 and just goes on this ridiculous run that we've just never seen, um, you know, any other wrestler go on, you know, in terms of dominance, a lot of it having to do with the character he portrayed and the way that that character was so different from anything that we had seen up to that point. This is probably one of the, the shining examples of when WWE creativity can be really good. And, um, and so Mark Calloway, you know, coming in and and becoming this this iconic Undertaker who feels no pain, who seems invincible, and who just runs roughshod over everyone. Um, just you know, you know, in the early '90s, you know, being that kind of comic book kind of character, and then morphing into something you know more demonic as you get into the you know later '90s and more nuanced in terms of you know starting to you know move into that American you know uh, badass you know sort of realm which comes later in the 2000s, but um but yeah just has a lot of just just really iconic matches um has a couple of world title runs um of course will be known in you know forever in in time uh for the uh, you know the hell in the cell 1998 match with Mick Foley um where where mm-hmm. he and Foley uh just had that that classic of 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 a match that just just uh superseded and any I mean, there, there was a lot of danger and a lot of things that could have gone wrong in that match, but they didn't. And because of it, the you know he he and Foley are known for for just this this violent, violent, vicious match that that was just amazing to watch. And 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 you know, 
I come back to it often and, and I'm still kind of in awe by it, even, you know, 30 years later. So, or 25 years later, but nonetheless, um, so, uh, yeah. So, so any other thoughts on the undertaker? No, you got it. I mean, the man, the man, the myth, the legend and, and protected his character. And that was also a huge part of that too. Just, yes, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of times that he was kicked back on things and, you know, ended up becoming like the judge back in, you know, that, that locker room didn't get out of hand, Yeah, <laughs> you know, to the point, yep. to the point of, of, of going and putting his gloves on and, and taping his hands at one time when he thought that Shawn Michaels might not do business and was ready to run down to the ring to make sure the things went the way they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that takes a certain stature in more ways than one. Yes. And I forgot to mention too, um, early in his career, you know, uh, pinned Hulk Hogan for the world championship. Um, yeah. but was then later, um, through shenanigans, uh, by Jack Tunney, uh, is how that is how the 92 rumble became about, uh, the world championship, which Ric Flair won, which, I believe you mentioned, uh, you know, in, in our correspondences over the course of the week, uh, we, we have a listener who has submitted a show idea that we reviewed yes. the 1992 Royal Rumble, which we must do. Yeah, we'll have to get to that. Although after once we get through these brackets, you know, sometime five months from now, uh, we'll have to give folks a little bit of a break from wrestling before we uh, get on that. But yes, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, sir. So between Ric Flair and The Undertaker, who are you going with? Um, this was a tough one, but I'm going with Taker. Yep. I am as well. Um, to me, it's not as hard of a, while Flair had a strong nineties, I think compared to the undertaker, the undertaker had, it had a stronger decade. Um, Mm -hmm. really for all the reasons we just talked about and, 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 you know, really, um, just, just one of the, you know, he, he just goes down in history and especially if you just look at the nineties as just a man with a very unique gimmick, um, great finisher and, and just all around, you know, just, uh, monster, monster heel, um, and, and monster baby face when he, when he turned. So, mm-hmm. so undertaker, it is going into the quarterfinal round. Yes. All right. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. We knew we were going to get to him at some point against Hollywood Hulk Hogan. This is fantastic. Two two of the icons of their respective uh, of uh, of their respective promotions. The dream um, match that never was. Yeah, dream match that never was. Well said. So, uh, you know, Steve Austin. Um, wh- one thing I got to say about like I, I know we're trying to move this along, but I, I do got to tell this story. One of the things I love about Steve Austin when he was in WCW uh, and and was, uh, you know, with with Brian Pillman in the Hollywood Blondes, you know, again, started out as a singles wrestler, had a great run as part of Paul Heyman's, you know, crew, um, I think it was called the Dangerous Alliance, then gets thrown into a tag team with Brian Pillman. And I, I, I just remember this, like watching when I went to college in, in, in 93, I was down in Connecticut and I, I, in New Hampshire, we just don't get TV or at the time we didn't get TBS Superstation. got it down there. So I'm watching WCW Saturday night and every single time those guys came out and Austin did the, 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 the camera, like the invisible camera bit where he holds up like the, he didn't have a camera, but he was like pretending yeah. he was holding one up and like spinning the, the dial, like he's running it. That, that cracked me up every time he did it. It was the funniest mm-hmm. thing. But then they get in the ring and they're so vicious. You know what I mean? Like that was the great part with Austin was he was just one of those guys that could go and he had kind of a like an Arn Anderson viciousness to, to the way he, he fought in the ring and stuff and that I really enjoyed. And so I was excited when he came into WWE um, 
saddled with a bad gimmick, um, but turned it around. Um, you know, large part, uh, got to give a, a, a big nod to Jake the Snake on that one because we don't have an Austin 316 without born again Jake Roberts. And uh, and so he, he really... Um, you know, from there, just just was hitting on all cylinders. Had a great feud with Bret Hart. Amazing WrestleMania match. That I Quit match where he, where I mean, just blood is flowing out of his head as he's trying oh, yeah. to fight out of the sharpshooter, and then he just passes out. Was just, I mean, that is such an iconic moment um, mm-hmm. in in wrestling overall. And then just the amazing run he goes on with with just becoming, you know, that foundational piece of WWE, being a world champion and and carrying the company on his shoulders for the rest of the decade. Um, Hogan, um, you know, had, had a, you know, uh, you know, Hogan comes into the nineties as the champ. Um, he, you know, uh, loses the belt a few times, wins it back. Um, but ultimately goes to WCW because WWE needs to move on. Um, and he establishes, you know, with Nation Hall as part of the NWO. And so, uh, you know, it was a world champion for a fair amount of time in the nineties. Um, really, you know, kind of the cornerstone uh, of, of that promotion, um, you know, both to the benefit and the detriment of it. Um, mm. But yeah, o- overall, it's, 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 you know, it's taken a, a, you know, what everyone viewed as, as the baby face and turning him villain in, in, a mo- in a move that no one ever saw coming. And it was shocking. It was really shocking at the time when it happened. And so, um, and then he just kind of, you know, played it up from there and, and had a, had a great run in the nineties. So both of the, this is a tough one because both of them, you, you could make an argument, you know, they, they both had very strong decades. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, for me, it just comes down to the fact that, you know, Hogan, Hogan was the, was the face of the first golden age of wrestling in, in the eighties. Austin is not only the face of the second golden age, Mm-hmm. I mean, Austin 316 shirts were everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of the biggest selling merch items of all time in yeah. wrestling, yeah. if not the biggest. It, it might still be the biggest, but I mean, those things were everywhere. But also was a different type of uh, was was really the anti-hero champion. Mm-hmm. And in the feud with with him and Vince changed the way that wrestling storytelling is told for for good or ill and if you mm-hmm. ask uncle corny we're definitely in the for ill uh section because uncle corny ain't a big fan of that but changed wrestling as mm-hmm. a whole hogan yes he was he he was champ you know he had the back and forth with the wwe and then when he went to wcw he was part of the nwo i don't give him that much credit for the nwo if only because had WCW chosen well enough, they could have had a third person do that. The NWO was NWO was already being established. Bringing in Hogan, yeah. yeah, it gives it a boost, but that could have been somebody else if it had been done correctly. Right. Um, Hogan was already was sliding into something that would, had already was already in progress, and in large part was due to the two people he was paired with. You know, I mean, yep. it, it was more about that invasion piece from the two of them than it was about him. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. And so and they really dictated how that thing went. Yep. I give him a huge amount of credit for being able to play the heel after being the good guy for all that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to me, like Stone Cold Steve Austin just defined wrestling in the 90s, even yep. though if you look at it, like his impact was in a in a not, you know, in, in not a substantial portion of the 90s. And I mean, of course, you can go back to his time in in WCW and, and being that guy who was underrated and, and just misused and all that. And even then going into ECW where, I mean, you look at some of his promos and stuff there where he's like impersonating Hogan and this and that mm-hmm. and the other, it was kind of mm-hmm. like, 
a little bit unhinged like it, it, it like you then understand where like then like 2000s austin came from yeah when, when yeah. he was kind of doing some of the wacky stuff then you're like oh this ties in yeah um yeah but stone cold is just is my pick like yeah i i think in 90s wrestling that's who i think of and i would agree i'm going with stone cold as well um couldn't have said it better myself oh hell yeah hell yeah all right moving on uh next round one uh or first round uh bracket goldberg versus hbk sean michaels here's two opposites oh my gosh so i don't need to even look at wikipedia to summarize goldberg's run because it was pretty much pretty much goes like this had an undefeated streak won the world title lost the world title and then just kind of languished <laughs> so I mean, pretty much that was pretty, pretty much, much. Gold, pretty much goldberg in a nutshell i mean you know to i don't want to say to his credit but to the company's credit it was one of the moments when the, something that was truly different and creative on their side really shined and you know they they found this guy who looked like a legit you know mma sort of you know badass and and would come in and would kick the tar out of people and you're like oh i, I want to see this guy it, you basically wanted to see him do the squash that's what you wanted to see yeah and they managed and, to take they managed to, to give a big fight feel yes. to a squash match which yes. is i mean that's something right there yes that you that people are that up for it i'll give Absolutely. him credit for that for sure but then, but then once once the undefeated streak ended, once he lost the world title, there was a lot of mystique that went with that, and because mm-hmm. of that, now, you know, he had a real hard time working that gimmick from that point on because that's all he was. You know, he he wasn't a guy who was going to go, you know, twenty, thirty, forty minutes. He he was in for the you know five to seven minute squash, and that was it. And so, had not had a fan, impact, not a fantastic talker either. So that was the no, other thing. Like no. Yeah, not king of the fantastic promo. Fantastic growler, fantastic headbutter of doors, so that he comes yeah. out bleeding off his forehead, but not not a talker. Well, then he also ended Bret, Bret Hart's career, so I mean that's kind of a demerit <laughs> if you look at it. Uh, that is true. That is true. Like, yeah, here's a here's one of the most talented wrestlers to ever enter the ring, and mm-hmm. like you know, four move Henry here, and yeah, guess who's going to come out of this still working? Yeah, because life yeah. isn't fair. You know, see also Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yes. And then you have on on the other side of things, you have Shawn Michaels. And the (laughs) 90s are just exemplified by his achievements and and really rising to the main event status, carrying WWE through a very tumultuous period um, when when their, you know, business is not great, uh, as well as during the initial phases of, of the Monday night wars. Um, but yeah, during the nineties, um, started out as one of the rockers broke off that, um, that tag team in, in just an iconic way. I mean, people who saw the barbershop where he threw Janetti through the, through the barbershop window, what was very shocking and violent for its time. You know, it, it, it really was not the norm of what you would see on, on the wrestling show. And, and so, um, that's how he started off. And um, he then goes on to become intercontinental champion goes on to win tag champion with diesel um and eventually gets to the main event level wins the world championship um and and has just just great matches with everyone he's in the ring with just becoming that 
you know, I mean, he wasn't called this during the nineties, but becomes that Mr. WrestleMania kind of guy. I mean, he is, he is the icon that at one point in the mid nineties to counteract what Hogan was doing in WCW, he would call himself the icon that can still go because Mm. implying that Hogan could not, which wasn't that far from the truth. So, um, but, uh, but it's it's the type of thing where Hogan, Hogan could have a Hogan match with anybody. Yeah. Shawn Michaels could have a great match with anybody. It didn't have to be a Shawn Michaels match. Yeah. He could work with anybody. Yeah. So, uh, and then you, you have in the mid to late nineties, you know, he's carrying the company, um, you know, starts DX with triple H has, uh, you know, good match with Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, has, has a great feud with Bret Hart that blows up into the Montreal screw job, which as we all know, he was a part of. And, uh, and, and really just, you know, we, we, find him between DX and between, and, you know, between DX and the Montreal Screwdrop really being, you know, kind of the, the, uh, you know, vortex of, of a lot of drama and, and change that's going on in, in WWE. And so, so the nineties, you know, for him, he, he does, um, I believe in 98, he does end up having to retire because of the, the back issue. Once he drops the title to, um, Austin, um, he really is, out of the business for, for the final two years of the decade as he's, you know, healing up and dealing with other issues and that sort of thing. And so, um, so yeah, so, so real strong, real strong period for him. So for, for you, sir, um, any other thoughts on Michaels and, uh, who are you going with? HBK. (laughs) (laughs) Don't need to discuss it any further. No, no, it's, it's pretty cut and dry to me. You know, I mean, Goldberg again, like it's, it's something to, to say that you can, you can pull off turning a, a squash match into feeling like it's, you know, freaking Tyson versus Holyfield or, you know, something like that. Like that's that's an accomplishment. And he and he gets credit for that because he was he was that character and he pulled it off and he 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 lived out the gimmick and all that. Yep. But a one trick pony. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and Michaels was just Shawn Michaels and he was a tremendous pain in the ass by all accounts and even by his own. And. There's times when it's like, you know, that's the price you pay for having someone who is just that damn good. Yeah. They're, they're going to be a pain in your neck, but you put up with it because, well, he draws money. That's right. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, Vince. All right. Uh, moving on to our next matchup. Uh, Brett the Hitman Hart versus Chris Jericho in the Battle of the Canadians. I was going to say, are we, in the, are we in the Winnipeg division here? Like I where think we are. Le Champions. Actually, no. It would be a, isn't it Calgary? No, Jericho's from Winnipeg. Jericho's but... from Winnipeg. Brett's from Calgary, Alberta. Okay. Yep. See, I, see, I know things about Canada. Good man. I mean, not, not much, but Good I mean. Good man. All right. Well, we'll try to get through this quick as Brett had Brett, much like Shawn Michaels, um, just just had a really, really strong 90s um, becoming Intercontinental Champion, defeating Mr. Perfect, Um, goes on to have great feuds around that belt. Uh, I think I believe he drops it to um, uh, to the Mountie. Oh, my God. He dropped it to the Mountie. Really? (laughs) That's one of my one of my favorite things you've ever done in this show. Please tell me that wasn't planned. That was not planned. And he dropped it to the Mountie. Dear God, what the hell was that? (laughs) Who made who who made that decision? Good Lord. (laughs) Somebody get Vince on the phone right now so I can cuss him out. Oh, my God. Get Vince on the phone and get James Jim Corn out on the phone too. make this a three way call so we can both cuss him out all over again and for those who don't know the mounty the gimmick was he was a power hungry corrupt member of the royal canadian mounted police which Sweet is something that would lord. is 
is the worst fiction because it's it doesn't even fall vaguely in the realm of possibility. No, it it's doesn't. just not going to happen. And then not to mention that when his music would come on, and I remember this because it was the strangest thing. It, he would come out and, and he was called the Mountie, but he, his song starts out, "I'm not the Mountie." I'm like, "Oh my!" Then why God, do you, you call serious? yourself the Mountie? <laughs> I don't get now it. I, now I want Vince on the phone so I can cuss him out <laughs> over this. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Uh, How dare you? Good Lord. All right. Anyways, before we get too, too yeah. into this. So, yeah. Too, Bret too Hart. Into the weeds. So, basically. The best 90, there ever was. The best there ever will be. 92 to 96 world uh, WWF champion. Um loses the belt. I, I believe he lost it to Shawn Michaels at some point along the way. Michaels becomes champ. Um, we have a bit of the the Canada versus US thing kind of toward the end of the decade, result, ultimately leading into the Montreal screw job where Brett goes to WCW, gets horse kicked in the face by Goldberg, and his career is finished. So uh but Sorry, sorry to go so so short on this because I I mean we are trying to move this on move this along a little bit, but but Bret Hart had a very prolific you know time in the nineties, um, mm. really carrying the company in the in the early to mid part of the decade before Michaels took over, um, and really establishing himself as as that that fighting and great champion. Um, his matches were like Michaels. I mean, he could have a great match with everyone, and uh, and it was just it was a real pleasure to to watch him wrestle and got to see him live in uh, down in Worcester, dollar twenty five pop, probably two fifty now. But um, <laughs> well, you remember that guy. Uh, uh, what was his name? It was like Tom Zink or something like that. Yeah, and he went on to yeah. be like Z-Man. And WWF signed him based on a match that he, like a dark match he had with Bret Hart. Yes. Yeah. And then afterwards they realized like, oh, that was mostly because of Bret. Yeah. Yeah. This guy is not very good. Yeah. <laughs> he looked like a million bucks yeah. in, the heart, in, in the ring with Hart because, I mean, again, Bret Hart could make me look good. And I'm saying that mm. now as a guy who's been out of the ring for like, he's been out of the ring for like 20 years and had a stroke and he could still make me look good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that, that, but that was just how good he was, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And then you have his opponent, Jericho, who, um, you know, is wrestling throughout the nineties, but not in a real, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not in a, a prominent way. He's, he's wrestling in the indies. Excuse me. He's wrestling in the Indies uh, throughout most of the early '90s. He goes to ECW in '96. Goes to WCW from '96 to '99. Um, he he does really make an impact there. Uh, is a cruiserweight champion. Um, d- does some really funny comedy. Um, you, you know, at the time, Dean Malenko was called the Man of a Thousand Holds, and Jericho was feuding with him, so he dumbed him, deemed himself the Man of a Thousand and One Holds, uh, yeah. which was kind of funny. Or Thousand and Two, I think. Um, he, he was doing a, a riff on Goldberg where, uh, he, he would have, uh, his, his security man, Rolfus, you, you know, come and knock on his door to, to bring him out to the, uh, the, I mean, Jericho was just doing some really good stuff that, that, that just brought a lot of entertainment and fun and really had one of the great debuts in WWE in 99. I mean, you, you go back and watch it and, and I still get like goosebumps watching it because it was just such a visceral reaction when the lights came up and you see his name on the screen and you see him standing there, the crowd, like I've never seen a crowd, maybe when CM Punk debuted in AEW, never seen a crowd all like united and standing up and just blowing the roof off the place. I mean, well, because it was also the first internet debut. Like this is when the internet finally kind of had hold and there was enough 
wrestling fans who are reading because before i mean they used to have like wrestling newsletters the dirt yeah. sheets people you know some fans knew but that was a real small subset mm-hmm. once you hit like 99 the internet is so much more prevalent yeah so many more people knew that this yeah. was kind of coming or at least knew who he was that it wasn't like just someone yeah. showed up as you know? well as- i mean as well as he was one of not the first X-Pac, I think was the first, but he was really the first, I think in the fans eyes, like homegrown WCW talent that jumped ship. Yeah. But and, I mean, let's, let's, let's face it. X-Pac, there's a reason there's a thing called X-Pac heat. I, I know. Let's, but, let's just but, forget but my, about my X-Pac and is, focus on Chris Jericho. <laughs> right. But, but my point is in 98, the story leading up to that point was mostly WWE talent jumping over to WCW and joining yes. the NWO. Jericho mm-hmm. was one of the first, if I, I don't know if he was the first, but he was one of the early guys who, who came over and it was like a big signing and was treated like, you know, really the, the, the big star that, that he had built himself up to me. But a lot of that was due to him and the stuff he was doing in WCW to establish himself that way. And so, Oh yeah, totally. So, I mean, they so, gave him yeah. the Royal treatment. I mean, there was, it, it oh, was yeah. a whole, the whole thing. It was multi, it was at least a month, if not two months of yeah. like segments leading up like this countdown oh, and yeah. like teasing it, teasing it, teasing it. And then to put him right into a program with the rock when he comes out. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. That is, is, I mean, gargantuan just, and that, that kind of puts him over the edge for some other folks. Cause it is that was sort of like, and Jericho makes this list like yeah. how, yeah. but yeah. So with all that being said, um, I, I'm going to go with Bret Hart on this one, e- even though Jericho, you know, certainly had an impact and really kind of, you know, through, you know, the. I, you know, I don't want to say it was all him. I mean, clearly it was a machine behind him, but, but he, he, he did a lot of, of the legwork in, in spite of a lot of things going on at WCW to get himself over and to get himself noticed and, and, you know, really had that, that great debut in WWE and, and, you know, his, his start there. Um, but Bret Hart just longevity wise through, throughout the nineties, um, and, and just with his reigns as world champion, just, I think, you know, just, just shines a great, a bigger light on, on, on things versus Jericho. We'll hear from Jericho again in the two thousands. And I think it'll be a different discussion at, at that point. Yes, I agree. Uh, Hitman all the way on this one. All right. All right. We're getting down to our last two first round brackets here. So we'll try to get through this. Uh, Scott Hall slash Razor Ramon versus The Rock. Uh, So for Scott Hall, um, let me pull his dossier up here. Uh, And by dossier, I mean Wikipedia page. Um, Let's see. So he... Starts out in WCW for a year, goes to WWE in 92 as Razor. Um, really, uh, what, what, what I remember standing out with him was really, you know, kind of helped continue that tradition of the Intercontinental Championship being the workman's title. Um you know, you know, as as much of a cartoon character as he might have seen as Razor Ramon, he he really had great matches with with you know the folks that he that he wrestled against, and and so um, yeah, so so he he just you know established himself as uh, as a great worker as well as having that that great finisher move the the Razor's Edge, um, which mm. at the time was was seen as kind of an innovative move. You know, we'd never seen a move like that in the eighties. You know, a lot of those moves were, were, you know, leg drops or body slams or suplexes or flying off the top. And here you have a guy where he, you know, puts someone up, you know, like almost in this like crucifix position and then drops them down on the back of their head. And it, it looked pretty vicious for the time. So, Oh, totally. 
So yeah, so so he he had a great run uh, that way with with the uh, the Intercontinental Belt. Also um, had that great match where one two three kid uh, debuts and uh, and and pins Razor uh, on Monday Night Raw. So one of those you know kind of an early you know calling uh, to to what we would see in the Monday Night Wars where hey you better tune in because the you know it, it's not just going to be jobber matches you know that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Uh, it was kind of cool to see that and he was one of the guys that was uh, um, you, you know part of it. So um, and the so- ladder match. Yeah, and thank you. Uh, WrestleMania ten, uh, he and Shawn Michaels having um, you know the iconic ladder match that that established that, uh, as well as the I think the match that he had later on with was it with Michaels or with Nat? Yeah, I think it was Michaels again. He he had another one I think in SummerSlam, um, but uh, and then with Goldust as well. And I'm trying to think who else. So yeah, so Scott Hall r- really you know really strong Intercontinental Champion through much of the '90s. Then goes to WCW with Nash again, one of the founding members of the NWO. But he's really actually the w- first one. He's the first one to debut. He's he the is. first one to show up yes. on WCW TV. Yes, he is. Yep. So I mean that that's a little bit notable too because I mean it's it's kind of funny you think about it i would i would, my natural inclination would have been to for for nash but yeah it, you think about it, it's like oh no of course it has to be scott hall because i mean look at him yeah yeah just i mean you don't i mean nash is like eh, he's a big guy but i mean you see you see hall and you're like it's just there's something about him mm-hmm. that just his presence says more than than he would ever have to say on a microphone yeah, he's got I just, the cool I, factor I, that, for him. Oh yeah, totally. He has that. It's the same thing I look at like Rhea Ripley right now. Like mm-hmm. she has just has that charisma that goes beyond. Like she's figured out something that the same sort of thing that he figured out. Like she's yeah. managed. They've they had that thing where they're like, I don't have to say or do anything. Just my presence is is like polarizing and cool and just it, it just speaks for itself. And that's yeah. that's not the case for everybody. Yeah. Yep. Anyways, just want to throw that in. Didn't mean to no. interrupt, sir. Go ahead. No, no, no. Right on. I mean, it, you're you're right. And you know, when he goes to, uh, you know, when New World Order gets established and they start running with that, um, you know, he he's still one of those core foundational members of it. But you know, he never really ascends to world championship status or the main event. I mean, he's he is in the main event, but it's always in a tag with Nash or with Nash and Hogan or something mm-hmm. to, you know, to that effect. Um really what what he ends up winning is really around the tag titles. Um and then uh yeah, and and then just, you know, it finds himself in in different um, you know, feuds uh over his time there. Um you know, overall. So, so, you know, impactful, um, but, but somewhat limited in a way. And then we get to the rock, um, who really debuts in, um, whoops, let me jump over to, uh, really debuts in 96. Um, uh, and, and, you know, gets kind of pushed into the intercontinental championship and everyone hates him. Um, (laughs) Which, die, which, Rocky, die. Die, Rocky, chance. die. You saw those Rocky signs sucks. everywhere. Like, oh, my gosh. It's like, how dare you uh, push this this man to the moon? Um, but, yeah, becomes part of the Nation of Domination. Um, a lot of his time is spent around the Intercontinental Championship. Um, but w- as as he begins establishing, you know, what we know as the Rock character, um, he starts to heat up a lot. Um, great promo, uh, and and ultimately uh, wins the WWE Championship in '98, um, 
where he, who did he defeat? It was a mankind. I believe it was mankind. Um, I believe so. Yeah. And then, yeah, he and mankind, um, uh, feud over the, uh, the, the world championship. I believe the 99 rumble is the one where they did the goofy thing where they recorded Foley saying, I quit when he didn't really say it, but, but oh rock, yeah the i quit match oh my gosh yeah but that's the one where i think rock like hauled off with like 11 chair shots on foley oh like, it was i think it was more than that i think yeah. it was like there was at one point like 11 in a row yeah it was an unprotected because foley's hands were cuffed behind his back so it's just like straight chair on skull yeah there's there's oh. there's no protection going on there at all so so yeah, so um, so the '90s for the Rock, you know, are really just you know '96 to 2000. Um, but you know what what a four year span. I mean, goes from being oh, yeah. uh, nobody and someone who the fans hated to someone who you know the fans are are you know loving to cheer and 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 you know kind of get in on his shtick and and you have him kind of stopping in the middle of his shtick saying you know the the rock doesn't perform or, or how did he how, how would he say it he, he would go into doing one of his his catchphrases and uh this isn't oh he would say this isn't sing along with the rock or whatever he was yeah <laughs> oh he was so good that was the thing like people loved to cheer him yes. once he once he got into that point but they also loved to hate him but they he's another one of those guys yep. that sort of like roman reigns now yeah like when he comes out like people react to him they cheer just because they're like it's 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 here is the big event here is the big thing that we've been waiting for and people do that with the rock and then once he starts his shit then they're like okay now we're gonna boo accordingly but but the react he just got a visceral reaction that people couldn't help themselves Mm -hmm. and you know one of those times when it's like yeah, the nickname fits. He is like probably the most electrifying man in sports entertainment just because it's an instantaneous reaction. Yep. So uh, I actually changed up my initial pick. I'm actually going with the so rock. So who did you end one. up picking? I'm going with the rock. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry. Oh, see, I snuck it in before you could. I know your timing is just you're too quick for me. You're like a you're like a cat. You just pounce left and right. Well, you know, I, I do try. But uh, I originally I had picked Scott Hall just on the significance of NWO. But as I was kind of thinking, you know, as we were talking through this and stuff, it, it is pretty remarkable in the four years with The Rock, what he accomplished. And, you know, quite honestly, you know, it, the argument could be made. I mean, my, my initial reason for picking Hall was was the decade long run that he had, you know, like like he had a mm-hmm. lot of su- success in the early 90s as an intercontinental champion had a lot of success in the mid and, and, you know, end, end of the decade with NWO, but I don't know that the early part of the decade matches what he did the latter part of the decade. Like once the NWO is established, he doesn't really do a whole lot. You know, he's there yeah. and, and he's still a presence, but he's not a, you know, a defining presence, you know what I mean? And and that's the yep. thing I think that maybe separates him a little bit from Nash is that, you know, at least Nash went on to be a world champion you know, main evented, you know, helped, help push the business forward, um, you know, through his work and that sort of thing. Hall did as well, but it was just, I don't know. It's, it, it seems like it was a little bit different. Plus I think that's when the substance abuse issues were kind of kicking in yeah. for him and stuff. And, and that took its toll on his career as well. So, um, so I'm going to go with the rock actually on this one. Yeah. It's sort of that argument of like, okay, well, Jimi Hendrix only had, you know, when you look at it, like a three year, I think mm. it's a three or four year career of recording, performing live and all that. 
And do you take that over someone like Eric Clapton or, or right. another established guitar player who, who you know, you look at and they're like, well, their their peak was like 10 or 15 years. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But what a freaking four years. Yeah. What a what a, an amazing two or three years that was like that's that's a that's like 60 normal years. Like it was it's just so sped up and packed in mm-hmm. like it's the same with the rock like that 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 rags to riches, you know, from hatred to beloved you know, heel or, or baby face character. What a fracking ride that was. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, and also became one of the biggest draws in the business at that time. That's not yeah. even taking into account what would go on in the next decade. And, and to the point now where it's like, he, he could come out of retirement now and he was, and he's one of the biggest stars immediately. Mm-hmm. So it's like, just in that four years is remarkable. So, yeah, I got to go with The Rock as well. Nice. All right. Our last first round matchup. Uh, two oh, icons God. of the 90s. <laughs> yes. Uh, Sting against good old Mick Foley. Mrs. Foley's, mama Foley's baby boy. Baby boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's Mrs. Foley's baby boy. That's right. I don't know why I said mama. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Foley. Oh, all right. Well, let's start with Sting. Um, you know, a, a, another stalwart of the '90s. You know, he his his career started in the late '80s. Um, so when we get to the early '90s, he has risen to main event status. Uh, becomes heavyweight champion a few times. Um, has some some great you know feuds with the Four Horsemen with Flair um, specifically. Um, was he Vader. part of the Four Horsemen at, at one point? He yes, he was. He he Again, was part like of the everyone Horsemen. was part of the Horsemen. <laughs> And actually, for those who 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 are interested in checking it out, um, there, I think it's still up on YouTube. But there, there's a someone had, had a great recording of when Sting was kicked out of the Horseman, and it's actually pretty funny because imagine this—he's part of this group, but he's also earned this right to challenge Flair for the championship, and Flair's the champion at the time. So he's in this group. Flair's the champ. And this this interview that that Terry of all people Terry Funk, which is really funny, um, you know, conducts. Well, Sting, in, what are you gonna do now? Right, is is all is basically like happening before this main event where Sting is going to challenge for Flair, and the Horsemen come out, and they're and they're basically telling him, "You better not do this." And he's like, "No, I've earned this right. I'm going to do this." And uh, and and it's really funny because Ole Anderson gets on the mic, and Ole Ole's interesting. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that Ole is interesting, um, but but man, it, it was a vicious beatdown of Sting. Uh, I, I don't know if he wins the title later that night or not, but anyways, if you find that on YouTube, watch it. It's it's a little bit of '90s, you know, nostalgia, and you're just kind of like, wow, these these guys are not great at times. With with, I mean, Flair was great on the promo, but Ole was just like Ole and Funk were really funny. Um, anyways, well, so don't forget about his 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 incredibly impactful team up with RoboCop. Don't forget that I. Thank you. Thank you. Capital Combat 1990, Great American Bash. RoboCop comes in and saves the day. Literally in Wikipedia, it says, Sting was rescued by his buddy RoboCop. It says this. (sighs) His buddy. His buddy. His buddy. Yeah. And RoboCop was falling apart as he went down. Yeah. As he's like walking Basically. out of the arena, like this this plastic flapping off of one of his legs. Hopefully it wasn't Peter Weller. You know, I think Peter Weller has too oh, much no. respect for that. So <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't I, I think Peter Weller was long gone at that oh, point. Yeah. yeah. Uh 
Uh, oh, Rick Rude was another great um, feud that he had as well. So yeah, Sting Sting had a really strong early '90s into the mid '90s. Um, he 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 was the franchise of WCW through the '90s. Um, if Flair was that foundational cornerstone piece, Sting was right there with him. When it came to the New World Order, um, you know he 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 had to radically change his gimmick. Really did this really um what i would consider you know risky in some ways you know approach to his character where i mean he really didn't compete for close to a year because he was playing this this new crow character where he was kind of you know watching from above and and you know kind of being the retribution that was going to be coming to the nwo at some point but he was positioned as that single savior you know next to like ddp and like lex luger who were going after you know the nwo to defend wcw uh and you know again would have been a great you know world title victory and way to kind of you know climax the story but they went ahead and decided you know hogan decided to be a you know goof about you know dropping the world title and it turned into a mess that later came to define wcw as a business so who would have thunk it what's that i said who would have thunk it who would have thunk it um later he joins the nwo Wolfpack. um after all that kind of blows over um but yeah sting sting is, is is a you know really had a great decade, um, you know, throughout his, his time in WCW. And then we get to Mrs. Foley's baby boy and good old Mick, uh, you know, Cactus Jack in, in WCW in the early nineties, um, having, uh, you know, some, some great, great feuds with like Abdul the butcher. Um, but really the one I want to call out is, is, is the one with Vader because that one is where Vader, um, did this, uh, I mean, first of all, was involved in, I think the incident where Foley's ear gets ripped off in Germany, um, yes. through, through that match. But then also notable in America was, um, he power bombed Foley onto the concrete floor, which mm-hmm. I wouldn't say would be, is, was the exact same thing as Jake Roberts DDTing Ricky Steamboat, but I got to imagine it's a pretty close second because the concrete has no give to it. So I don't no. know how you, you, you protect someone in that, in, in, in that situation. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the funny part is like in, in his bio, in his autobiography, Mick does actually give Leon some credit, uh, Vader, you know, basically saying like, he took pretty good care of me. Like he, he, he released him low, like did as much as he could to lessen the impact while still yeah. making it look good. And for, and for someone like Vader to take a little bit off the fastball, there's a little bit of respect there. So that's yeah. nice. You know, he was, he was trying to make sure he didn't kill him, I guess, you know, and, that's nice. And that is a really good point. When he did that power bomb, it wasn't uncharacteristically like Vader is hunched over a lot. Like he, he spins him into the power bomb position, but when he drops him, it isn't like, it, it isn't like a last ride power bomb like what the Undertaker does. It is, yeah. Ve- he he like you could tell he was protecting him or as much as he could, you know, g- yeah. given the you know given as the much maneuver. as you can against the concrete. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so uh, Foley spends some time there. He he does a tour of duty in uh, in ECW as well as some independents. Um, the uh, you know of course in ECW the the big thing there is when he you know kind kind of does this run as uh, you know Cactus Jack as as the anti hardcore wrestler um, you know b- basically kind of turning things on their head and and you know chastising the fans for for being bloodthirsty and wanting violence and that sort of thing and uh, so it, it was starting to show Foley as as this you know guy who who could play a few dimensions in his character and stuff and 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 really was was interesting and then he gets to WWE as mankind. Um, basically, uh, 
you know, just, just taking that, that kind of violent and just, you know, crazy nature that is Cactus Jack and, and, and just channeling it very, in a very focused way. And really as, as not so much a comical character, but mankind, you know, when he talks as mankind, it, it there, there is a bit of, I don't call it comedy. It was entertaining. You know, it was entertaining to watch him do his promos and, and, and be this like just crazy guy. Um, mm. and he, you know, he had great matches with triple H, um, with, uh, obviously with undertaker, Sean, Oh, Sean Michaels. Um, you know, he credits that uh, in your house, mind games is one of the best matches he's had when that was with Sean Michaels. Um, and then he has, you know, a great feud with the undertaker with the, uh, the, um, Oh God! No, uh, there's Boiler a buried alive brawl. match. What's that? Boiler room brawl. Thank buried you. That's alive. Was, yeah. Yeah. Hell in a cell. I mean, yeah. Boiler room Tons. brawl. Buried alive, and then hell in a cell, and and you know we already talked about that iconic match. So, um, but but the biggest thing is is really um you know in the late '90s how he ascends you know when he starts to play you know not just mankind but then transitions to cactus jack transitions to dude love um the way he he connects with the audience and and then wd gets behind him and ends up um you know awarding him with with the world championship which no one ever thought i think he was like in 96 no one was going to point to him and say oh yeah there's a future world champion but the connection he had with the crowd and the way that, that he just kind of built, you know, himself up as, as Mick Foley and as these other characters, um, just the timing was just right. And it was a great moment. And it was a moment that, that really, uh, blew up in the face of the WCW folks that thought it would be funny to, you know, say, Oh, Mick Foley's going to win the title. It sucks. And then everyone flipped the channel and watched. So, yeah. So yeah, Foley has, has an amazing run, um, you know, through the nineties and, and really is just, just a, in a lot of ways like DDP is just that feel good story of a guy who really worked his tail off and, and, and really just, uh, connected with the crowd and, and saw great success. And that's leaving out the Japanese death matches. I, that is, I, I, I had to skip over something. So yes. Which I mean, uh, yeah, which let's not, we don't need to get into that because oh, it, it's kind of just like what you think it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just love the story he wrote in his book about how he would get on the plane still sweaty and like I can't even imagine that like I feel oh, like yeah. crap coming out of a gym excuse me after a workout and I can't imagine fighting in a match where I'm bloodied I have like blood pasted to me and I get I go on a plane like like that just well, sounds so weird and he's singed like he has yes. he has his his skin is gray and flaking off mm-hmm. like a shower and a long sleeve shirt. I'm just saying, you know. I'm just saying the person who paid for the seat next to him got to be happy about that. So. Oh yeah, I, I distinctly asked for a non-smoking seat. Yes. That means the person as yes. well, not just what they're smoking, but like the individual shouldn't be smoking and smoldering. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so um, my pick for this this matchup between Sting and Foley, um, you know, Sting strong strong decade, Foley strong decade. It, it is a tough choice because they they both, um, you know, an argument could be made for both moving forward. But I'm going to actually go with Mick Foley on this one. I, I feel like his career and and the way he he really kind of. I want to say transformed the wrestling business, but but had a lot of moments where he really had um or, or created moments memorable moments that that people are going to remember for a really long time um you know i i just think that 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 supersedes uh you know the body of work that sting had and uh you know i will go there uh mick foley did transform 
professional wrestling, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Sting, great babyface, strong, you know, strong character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely nothing wrong with with who he was as a character, as a wrestler, whatever. Like nothing wrong with that. Mick Foley is to me is going back to that Hendrix analogy. He was revolutionary, mm. and not only did he, he did he do you know solid work in WCW while getting ignored. And one of the re- and, and it's funny you say in 1996, no one would have pointed to him as like the world champion. Like uh, according to Mick Foley, Ric Flair when he was the Booker, they were talking about pushing Mick Foley, and he was like, "Can you ever see him wrestling for the world's champ, uh, world's heavyweight championship?" And that's yeah. the end of the discussion of of elevating him any further, not to put him in the main event, but even just pushing him up the card a little bit, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. stomped it. Yeah, and the fact that he he did gr- he did good work there. And but then in ECW, he was really one of the people who got that company over to the point where it mm-hmm. could continue. And you have, you know, guys like Taz and Sabu you, that you have these characters could then grow that and how influential ECW was. Yeah. ECW, I don't know how they I don't know if they would have gotten as far in the way that they did without McFoley there. Yeah. Yeah. To, to really to really put his body I mean physicality on the line to to make this thing happen and then in 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 WWE I mean hey I'm a sucker for a good story man like you tell me somebody is that that person was never picked you know first for gym class and all that like that was me yep so you yep. tell me that like that guy finally gets over and kind of in spite of everything becomes the champ you know that the company let mm-hmm. looks at him and goes yep we're gonna give it to that guy I'm all in yeah, you know, uh, yeah. so yeah, I think it's just him by a mile for me. Nice. All right, I believe at this point we have overviewed twenty some odd wrestlers, and so now we're in the quarterfinal round. So I let's try to elevate our, pitch this one. Hour seven at this point is hour seven. I, yeah, <laughs> of this of this voyage that we're Otherwise on. known as the cure for insomnia. I really hope that people are into some deep REM sleep right now. They'll remember everything when they wake up. Though, Indeed, so it's all good. Indeed. All right. So for me in the quarterfinals, my first uh, bracket is Kevin Nash versus DDP. Uh, and you, sir, I believe you have what Triple H versus China. Um, well, wait a minute here. Uh, yes, okay. I'm I I'm looking at yes. Uh, so Triple H versus China, which is interesting because we have bodyguard versus the uh, the feature, and I mean, yes, boyfriend and ex girlfriend versus each other, Indeed. which is all uncomfortable all the way around. Uh, so yes. So for my matchup with Kevin Nash versus DDP, um, I'm actually going to advance, uh, Kevin Nash, uh, as much as I, uh, appreciate DDP's body of work. Um, the fact that Nash really had the longevity across the decade, um, you know, with, with his title runs and with his impact on, on the respective companies he worked for. Um, I just think that that stands head and shoulders above what, what DDP did. So I'm going to advance Mr. Nash. How about you, sir? Well, this is where the Cinderella run for China ends. Um, <laughs> as 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 impactful as she was, man, uh, it's come just on, like you misogynistic son. Ah, uh, yeah, see, uh, yes, yeah, easy to go there, isn't it? Sure, just to get sure. a, get a laugh, yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, but Triple H, I mean, just has the better credentials, and it mm-hmm. again, like when it comes push to shove, like yeah, China was revolutionary, but. Triple H, you know, was one of the shoulders on which the company was carried forward mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and where and had a huge outsized impact on the Attitude Era. So uh, I'm going to give it to Triple H in this matchup. 
Understood. Understood. All right. Uh, my next uh, bracket is uh, S- The Undertaker versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Which is a uh, match that happened about 8,000 times <laughs> during the yeah, they, era. They were, they were uh, opponents quite often and, yeah. uh, and, and had some fantastic matches. Um, this one's tough because The mm. Undertaker had quite a run. Uh, I don't think there's a wrong answer here. It no, just comes there, down there, to what your is, preference is. Yeah, uh, but I, I think in, in some ways I'm going to go against the logic I've used before. If we look at body of work, The Undertaker probably has the larger body of work um, across mm-hmm. the decade. Um, yep. But Steve Austin, his ascension to, you know, where where he landed at the end of the decade as the face mm-hmm. of wrestling and and his just the icon that he became um, – I got to give him the nod, you know, moving forward. Um, Undertaker, I, I love the character. Definitely influential. Definitely has his place in history. But um, but when it comes to '90s wrestling, um, he's in the conversation. But but Stone Cold is usually the first first name out of people's mouths. So I'm going to go with Stone Cold on this one. And just to know, I mean, uh, the man they call Tim did have the Stone Cold hands up. Nothing wrong with him not trying to knock his work or nothing. I know. I'm, 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 not I'm for not, nothing. I'm not trying to be snug. I'm not trying to be snug. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to agree with you. I, I just I, – you you can make a compelling argument for either one of these. And longevity yeah. versus, you know, the skyrocket and just – I don't – in this case, I got to go with Stone Cold. You yeah. know? I mean, yeah. like I said before, he's who I think of when I think of 90s wrestling. Yep. Hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, my next bracket is uh, Shawn Michaels versus Brett the Hitman Hart. I think you have the same one. Is that correct? Same here. All right. Which I mean, eh, this is another matchup that's like, ooh, ooh yeah. Well, you can call this the Shy Town Screw Job because I'm going to have <laughs> Bret Hart go over Shawn Michaels. Oh, that's wow! Right. All that's right. right. Yeah. No. All I mean, right. th- this is. I mean, we're 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 getting into the nitty gritty, and these are these mm. are hard hard choices to make because both, you know, an argument could be made for either one too. Like, like you said, there is no wrong answer here. Both of these guys had exemplary decades. Um, both of them throughout the decade carried WWE on their shoulders. Um, and, and so, you know, really it just comes down to, um, you know, preference, honestly. I mean, and, and Bret Hart, I was a solid Bret Hart fan throughout that decade. Um, I, I loved his work. I loved what he did in the ring. Um, I loved what Michaels did too, but, but Bret Hart was, you know, the excellence of execution. He, he, he was the guy that just made wrestling look real and, and really just had, um, great matches with everyone that he wrestled with. Um, you know, including Michaels himself with that, you know, Iron Man match. So, um, I'm going to go with Bret Hart on this one, move him forward. Man, I I had I had Michaels. I'll be real honest with you, but you just completely turned me around on this. I'm going really? with Bret Hart as well. Wow! Uh, for the for the I rarely, additional uh, convince you <laughs> for the additional reason that really in a historical sense, and this is kind of where I, because you didn't even mention this, but it, it made me think further on this. Mm-hmm. In a historical sense, Bret Hart is one of the reasons we get the Attitude Era. Mm. He really is because it, it, yeah. if once right. Vince didn't have heart, he really had to start thinking outside the box because that yeah. really was one of that was one of his few like aces that he had. Mm-hmm. And once that's gone, it's like, OK, well, now I've OK, I give the title to Michaels. Yeah. But yeah. now what? 
Right. Now, all of a sudden, now I, I don't have I've, I've, that feud is gone. I now I need a whole bunch of new characters and I need to change the way I'm doing things because yeah. I'm I'm getting my butt kicked. And now I'm handing my best my best, you know, player mm-hmm. over to my competition. Yeah. So I could, you know, and thankfully, for, you know, I mean, however you want to look at it and you know, Vince, at least for Vince's sake, thankfully, Brett, uh, you know, WCW couldn't manage their way out of a wet paper bag yeah. because they, they paid Bret Hart a butt ton of money, had an established star, had a great storyline just ready. And they did with him. And that was another thing that managed to, like, help the Attitude Era is that they just squandered Bret Hart just completely which yeah. is amazing yeah. that they did that um so i'm gonna go with that it's kind of the history taking it over the top but yeah for for all the reasons that you just said as well to start with yeah excellent all right last uh, quarterfinal matchup the rock and mick foley um yep. we've, we've gone through the credentials um you know another for, frequent for, matchup like these two were were yeah always on this and then also ended up as partners which the is rock another thing connection it's the rock and oh my connection. Um, the, you know, again, uh, just another tough one, but, but I think this time I'm going to, you know, once again, use the longevity argument to some degree, because I, I, and, and I think you made a, a solid argument on, you know, Foley really transforming wrestling, um, with what he did. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to go with Mick Foley on this one. I, I think if, wow. we, when we have this conversation in the two thousands, I think, um, you know, the, the, the rock is, is probably the stronger pick there. Um, you know, because of, of the achievements that he has, you know, and, and, you know, kind of the early to mid part of that decade. Um, but, uh, you know, both, both decorated individuals, um, both having, you know, an outsized impact on it, but I, I got to give the nod to Foley. I think his contributions are, are greater at that point. Again, this is one where I, I, <sighs> Man, now you got me rethinking this one too. Gonna, like, you're sullying my bracket with your your logic and your impassioned pleas. Logic. You're making because I had the rock. Yeah, I had the rock in this because just on sheer like reaction. Mm-hmm. But then when I'm thinking more about it, like Foley also once. I mean, yeah, he had some periods. There was a period at the kind of the beginning of the Attitude Era where he wasn't kind of the guy left behind. Yeah. But really, once the once he got rolling and comfortable in that again, he was like he was getting that same sort of reaction that was just so over the top and outsized for for who he was. Dang it. You turn me around again on another one. I'm going with Mick Foley. Oh, my God. I'm going with my heart on this. I'm going with my heart. This ladies and gentlemen, this is this is unheard of. This is. uh... I, I don't. I don't History feel comfortable with it either. Made. I don't like it. I don't like it when we agree. It makes me feel. I get itchy. You get itchy. I need. All right. I need dissension and and yeah. and, and, and might be something friction. else. Anyways, well, yeah, I, <laughs> dissension. I, and I, friction. I made the mis- I made the mistake of sitting on the bench at the gym today, so I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> that there's your problem. All right, uh, getting into the semifinals, uh, we have for me at least. I have Kevin Nash versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. I've got uh, Triple H versus Stone Cold. All right. Um, I am going to end up going uh, for all the arguments we've made, uh, comparing the two of them together. Nash has certainly his impact and his place, but Stone Cold uh, is is the face of the 90s. I'm going to advance him into the finals. Uh, so thank you, Mr. Nash, but Stone Cold, give him the stunner and a hell yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, same thing here. And yeah, yeah you... Uh, uh, yeah, Stone Cold is so iconic 
so iconic yeah. that it's just it's really hard to to for anyone to get over on him. Yep. Yep. And then on my my other semifinal bracket is a very strange matchup. I, I think this is a dream match that never happened. Bret Hart versus Mick Foley. Um, mm. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, Foley's impact. We talked about, you know, what Hart did during his time. Um, you know, the, the 90s are, are really, you know, Bret Hart's time to shine and, and, and to be that champion Foley, you know, again, transforming wrestling with, with what he did. Um, but I, I got to give the nod to Bret Hart on this one. I think, you know, just, uh, w- when I put the two of them together, I, I feel Bret Hart is, ha- has the stronger case in, in, in this particular situation. So I'm going to hmm. go with Bret Hart. Well, now that you've, you've completely hosed over my bracket, I, I had to change what the, the this matchup was because, uh, I, I had Bret Hart versus The Rock originally, and I had The Rock going over Bret Hart. And now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, there's a new Cinderella in town. Oh, here we go. Mick Foley, ladies and gentlemen, over You're Bret Hart. You're to the finals, huh? Yes, I am, because damn Good it, if, you, I, if I love a story that much, let's right. keep this sucker going. All right. So now in my final bracket, I have Stone Cold versus Bret Hart, a rematch from WrestleMania 13, where Bret Hart went over in the submission match. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, really for, for all the reasons we've stated before, you know, with Stone Cold, um, you know, Bret Hart has the longevity, no doubt, has, has the credentials, the accolades that go with what he did for WWE. But, um, but Stone Cold was that, face of the second golden era and and he you know he he was the hogan of that era and uh and and had just an amazing run that um just you know transcended what wrestling was at the time um so for me uh in in my finals pick for the 1990s wrestling bracket uh i have jake the snake in in the 1980s bracket but for 1990s i'm gonna go with the man he faced in the king of the ring stone cold steve austin a very good pick. Uh, for me, I've got Stone Cold versus Mick Foley. I have no idea when their like pivotal match would be. I know they faced each other again approximately 500 times. Yes, they did. Frequent um, foes. Yes. <sighs> this one's tough because tough. I, I could make a similar argument for the longevity of Mick Foley, similar to how you made an argument for Bret Hart. But once again, it, it Stone Cold, iconic. Yep. Absolutely yep. iconic. Um, he is the 90s. That's just the way it is. That's the bottom line. Stone Cold wins the 90s. There we go. I was a little snug there. A little snug. A little, little snug. A little snug there. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to say, you know. Uh... Oh, it's funny. That is funny. What a not just a character like in in wrestling, but what a character just in in real life. Yes. It seems. Yes. You know, yes. I just love the fact that you know, like the stories that you hear, like about him, you know, like uh, you know, like Jericho calling him up to, about being on the podcast, and you mm-hmm. know, and he's having a couple beers in bed watching it, <laughs> watching <laughs> wrestling, and Jericho's sitting there in bed having a couple cocktails, and is you know, oh or gosh. even like uh the Paul Heyman story where he talks about when he wanted to bring stone cold into this into ECW. He's like, mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Hey Steve, what are you doing? Sitting at home, having a couple beers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to, you want to come to Philadelphia? Well, damn son. Yeah, sure. I would. <laughs> that is funny. That <laughs> oh, is funny. Oh my gosh. This is great. Oh my gosh. But yeah. So stone cold wins the nineties in a route for both of us. This Indeed. is a, this is, 
I mean, it's, I, I kind of saw that one coming. I got to be honest. A little bit. A little bit. And another thing. All right, sir. What do you got for and another thing now that we've entered our eight? All right. Uh, my and another thing is a book that I started reading over my vacation uh, called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreer. Uh, it is a uh, book uh, on the book cover. It says the triumphant, turbulent stories behind how video games are made. And uh, this this is a book. Um, I just happened upon it after uh, I was reading another book for work and it came up as, you know, because it's computer related. Um, or actually, I think it may have been when I, when I was reading Red player one but um just came up as as a you know something you might like sort of thing um and uh yeah it's really interesting it it tells it's basically 10 chapters uh talking about 10 different games how they were made the companies that made them um and each chapter has kind of a different facet of the process and or or different challenge or or thing that was overcome um as part of that process um so just really interesting uh stories um you know like like for uh for the first chapter on Pillars of Eternity uh, that was done by a, a company called Obsidian. And it was really the first one that leveraged Kickstarter as as a means of um, raising funds. Um, you know, typically, the, you know, video game studios have to rely on, um, you know, maybe Microsoft or some of the console providers to, you know, fund some of the games that they're doing, you know, especially when they're building like foundational titles and that sort of thing. Uh, and in this case, they... Um, after going through a pretty crushing layoff because of um, Microsoft kind of pulling, you know, support, um, they they one of the guys started a Kickstarter with a very clear kind of business plan and purpose, and they ended up raising four million dollars from just the the, the video gaming community Dang. that really wanted this this particular game that they were putting out there, and uh, and so yeah, so it, it's about the process and and really. Um, you know, the thing I kind of take away from all of these chapters is, you know, to go in, I, I'm, I'd have a lot of respect for people who work on video games and also have, you know, find a way to maintain a family because there there's, there's a real time commitment that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one of those things that is very, very difficult. I think, you know, for, for people to find that work-life balance and because of the, the crushing nature of the schedule and, and, and delivering something that, you know, I mean, when you think about playing a video game, right you want to play something that doesn't have a lot of issues and a lot of problems with it. And so they they have to spend a lot of time getting it right. And, um, and what's really interesting too, is they, they kind of play in this, this area of, of tech where it's, it's a, it's a nexus point of doing technical work, but also doing art and trying to find Mm. the balance between the two of those um, so that you can predict when you can finish the work and do it on time and that sort of thing. And and it's hard because as they, as the author describes um, from his interviews, you know, one of the things they, they, try to evaluate as they go through the process is, is this game going to be fun? You know, are some of the mechanics that we've come up with going to be entertaining for people to want to play this game? You know? Um, So, so just really interesting stories. Um, Stardew Valley is one that my sons play. And, and there's a really interesting story there. Um, you know, guys, this one guy basically spending five years writing it and, and doing all of the work around it as opposed to, uh, you know, what, what, what goes into a video game typically from a company. So if you're interested in video games and how they're made and the stories behind, you know, the companies that produce them, this, this is a really fun book to read. Uh, Jason Schreer does a great job writing about, you know, the, these interviews and, and the stories behind these companies and, and the people involved of, uh, you know, 
know, producing these games that I think a lot of times we take for granted as being these really solid, polished pieces of software. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into them. So do check it out. Blood, sweat and pixels. Very nice. As for myself, uh, I ventured out to the theater and uh, I saw myself a little John Wick chapter four. Um, and man, I'm, I'm already kind of well established in the bag for the John Wick movies. I think as far as as action movies, as far as revenge flicks, there's there are very few revenge movies that do it better. There are very few action movies that do this better. They're just done so well, so crisply, um, and and also very economical storytelling. Like I, I just I'm constantly in awe of just how they how they give you more information on these characters without having to sit there and dump a whole bunch of exposition in your lap. Um, so John Wick Chapter Four, a really fun ride. Um, I will, however, say. Uh, I do agree with a uh, with something that I saw Mark Bernardin, a close personal friend of the show, Mark Bernardin, um, who who posted that he he actually felt that you know without spoilers that a few less action scenes, uh, a few less action beats would have probably made the others feel that much more special and tightened up the movie because the movie is it's about it's. A, two hours 40 minutes it's a long yeah. flick um and i would agree with that i think that a, not not taking out all the action because of course it's an action flick and it's very visceral and it moves and it's it and it it doesn't feel like it bogs down so much as it just sort of plateaus in areas mm. uh, a of uh, cutting back a few of those action scenes i think would have probably helped make it a little bit punchier <laughs> no uh you know pun intended there walked right into it but um it's it, overall still still a really good story really really fun flick um you know i i i know for you know there was one point where i'm like all right we're an hour and a half into this and i really got to go use the men's room and found kind of a part where i'm like all right we're in a car chase i know i'm gonna own this movie someday so i have no fear of miss, missing something in this car chase and you know he just got in the car so i know we're good for about 10 minutes of action in the car so i can hightail it and go then i also of course took advantage of that to go get some you know sour patch kids because i'm a glutton for punishment but you know again uh you know so really good but i do feel a little bit more judicious editing and a little more compacting of those uh action scenes would have helped but hey i'll t i'll take it as it is really good flick it's one of the few action franchises that i feel keeps keeps its teeth in every movie like i don't feel like there's have there's been a weak one yet where it's like oh yeah they just kind of mailed this in no they they all go way harder than <laughs> than they have any reason to so definitely go check out john wick chapter four it is a fun movie to see on the big screen um but if not then just rent the snot out of this later on and you'll you'll love it very nice very nice all right folks well thank you for bearing with us those of you who have born with us we certainly appreciate it all the members of the free range idc congregation out there wake up um we're coming to the end of the show time to oh. time to turn things off uh, so uh, thank you all for tuning in. If you are not a member of the Free Range EDC congregation, you can join just by subscribing. You can find us at freerangeedc.com. That's where you'll find all of our episodes. You can download them individually. You can also subscribe using the Podbean app. Uh, if you're of a 
mind that you already have enough apps in your life and that you don't want another one, you can also find us on uh, Google Podcasts. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on Pandora. We're on a whole bunch of others. Go ahead and search for Free Range EDC. You'll find us. Uh, if you uh, if you would like to find us on the social medias, we are on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We are on the YouTubes where you can also subscribe and get our full episodes there if you like to get your podcasts and media content through the YouTubes. Uh, we were on Twitter, but you know, F the mollusk. So we're not on Twitter anymore. And um, so if you have any questions, thoughts, concerns, suggestions for a show, like our friend out there who sent us a, a well, they sent us a message to Facebook. So you can also do that. But you can send your send us an email, an electronic message through to Tim at freerangeedc.com. And he will get back to those as soon as possible. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to wrap this thing up here and hand this over to the less idiotic of the two idiots who run this show. And uh, by that, I mean the man they call Tim. Definitely not Patrick. Um, he's been sleeping in uh, once again in his closet. I'm <laughs> broadcasting here from the <laughs> office. And I, I didn't know this was possible, but it World actually the smell, the smell gets worse in here at night. I don't know what causes that, but I'm a little concerned. <laughs> oh, gosh. <sighs> but anyways, uh, th- that would be the man they call Tim. But not before I ask him the second most important question to ever be uttered by human lips. The first, of course, being what is hip? The second being what the hell do we learn this episode? Uh, we've learned the following, my friend. We've learned that uh, Mandalorian Season 3 uh, is is hitting all the notes, is... is scratching all the itches and giving us a little bit of uh, a little BSG nod every uh, now and then, which we appreciate. Yes. Although I am wishing that Favreau and Filoni had that uh, Raptor Assault line worked in there somewhere, because that that just would have been perfect. That just would have been perfect. Uh, We have also learned uh, that uh, as much as the man they call Tim is a wrestling Sherpa of sorts, uh, Uncle Todd breaking out a few uh, informational nuggets here and there, uh, Owen Hart style. So we we do appreciate that. I am not a nugget. No, sir, you are not. And uh, we have also learned that uh, as we looked at the 90s in wrestling, just uh, just to take a moment and just uh, take it all in and, and, and recognize the, the breadth of talent. I mean, really, the 90s was just su- such a period of, of you know, of flourishing uh, of the business, of, of different talent, of, you know, as we talked about, some folks who on the surface probably wouldn't have mounted much, but ended up, you know, being transformational in their own way. And so uh, we, we have seen, learned, Held, uh, you know, uh, seen, felt, smelt, and dealt uh, all, all uh, you know, through all through the discussion here on on this front, and uh, we do thank you once again uh, for your mm-hmm. listenership. Uh, we thank you for uh, you know sticking with us for the three hour odyssey that is the nineteen nineties wrestling. Has it only been three hours? I I would have sworn this was ten. <laughs> I feel like I'm aging in dog years. I was clean shaven when this started. I've got like a I've got like a Chuck Norris beard going right now. Got, got the Homer Simpson uh, beard going there. So. Uh... So with all that being said, uh, thank you all again, and we we do now uh, bid you adieu as we uh, close up shop for this episode. And as we like to close things out, be safe, be healthy, be kind, be good to one another. And, well, you know, it's just good common sense. If you're going to leave the room, hit the lights on the way out. It's like I took the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon, what did you say? I think you've had about enough.
Well, I th I think you're wrong, you increasingly attractive-looking woman. You know, you're you're really pretty. Oh, stop. No, I'm I'm serious. You could you could be in magazines. You you could. You can, and, and not just like jugs or or creamsicle. Damn! <laughs> you're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for you. Call me. She won't call. <laughs> Oh, here's a pleasant sight. Cirrhosis the Wonder Dog. I'm, I'm not drunk, all right? I just have a speech impediment. <laughs> and a stomach virus. And an inner ear infection. Get out. And don't come back until you've redeemed yourselves. So say we all. So say we all. Hello, what have we here? I mean, that really got out of hand fast. I'm waiting for the next episode of The Mandalorian where the armorer gives us that great speech of, there is a line running down this deck. Somewhere Eddie almost is like, son of a bitch, <laughs> that's my line. <laughs> you're bo like somehow this seems familiar this seems like i've been here before ah yes this has happened this before. has happened before mm -hmm. <laughs> and will happen again how did i miss that damn you're good sir now what we really need is one of the mandos helmeted up you know, r running, you know, either running around or just off to the side and being like, no one missed the nice guys. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we get James Callis in there? Can't we get him under one of the masks? All we would have to do is he could do that from home. He wouldn't actually have oh, to be there. That would Absolutely. be awesome. Absolutely. Now, can we, you know what? Can we get a BSG reunion for the man for like Mando? Just one episode where it's like five random, you know, Mandalorians in Bo Katan, and all of a sudden you hear like, you hear, uh, uh, oh my gosh, Jamie Bamber, you hear Chief, what do <laughs> you, know, you like hear? These, Starbuck, and all, and, and she and she just has that kind of the, the head cocked, like, mm -hmm. do I know you guys? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, of course not, of course not. <laughs> Who knew we'd get our BSG fix in a small dose from The Mandalorian? Now get the hell out of here!